Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Well, we've got another legend from our favorite, well, my favorite era of IU basketball of all time. Do you Are you with me on that? Is that your favorite era, too? Hmm. Or you don't have to have a favorite. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never thought about it like that. It, it definitely was, I mean, Steve Alford's team in 87 is what cemented me as an Indiana lifer, truthfully, right. because sure. they won the championship. Yeah, it's it makes an impact. But I surely don't remember regular season games right. the same way that I remember during this era. And it was the last era of sustained high-level success. Yeah, like a threat for the Final Four every year. Mostly every year. Not that first one. Well, not the first one. But you're right. I mean, this was a perennial Big Ten champion team. This was, I think, four Sweet Sixteens in a five-year stretch. This was, without question, the last time Indiana was on top of the college basketball world for a sustained period of time, even though a title didn't follow. And this gentleman that we got to speak to was at the center of it in more ways than one. Not only was he part of the heralded class that we'll get into, but his career was met with obstacles that very few other careers in college basketball are. And hearing him with the perspective of time talking about that era was an incredible conversation. Yeah, we should mention we're doing this after the fact. And that's because I had to leave halfway through the interview. It was not cool. I did not enjoy having to do that, but such is life. Look, you you have priorities. And your family and, and not abandoning your son was slightly above the interview that we did. It was I was texting with my wife during the interview and being like, Hey, this is a long one. Any chance you can any chance? Hello? Going once, going twice. And then and then knowing that he was at summer camp, that it was not a situation where already I, according to Waze, was going to be arriving a couple minutes after the absolute, like, you have to pick him up or the doors are locked. I was like, where's my child going to be if I'm late? But I ended up sneaking in about two minutes early. Did you at any point when the interview was going long and you were starting to worry about time, did you ever think, I wonder if I could send an Uber to pick up my kid? I thought, could I send Travis? <laughs> Travis is our, our very good friend who uh, lives underneath my house. <laughs> Which sounds like the premise for like a sitcom. I think there is one like that. We're just some dudes About living like, in the basement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, the interview that you're about to hear with Pat, Oh, I shouldn't say his name. Don't use that because then I do a big intro. I'm also wondering maybe I shouldn't uh, use Travis's call name? call out Travis's living under my house. Uh, all right, so let me ask the question again. Did you ever think about sending an Uber for your kid? 
No, I did not because there was no Uber driver's name on the permission to pick up my kid list. Got it. Yeah, you would have to have done that first. It's legal liability issues. The interview you're about to hear is one of the most emotional, honest, uh, interesting interviews that we've done with a guy who lived through Indiana basketball at its at a peak. Uh, it's hard to say at its peak because we didn't win a national title. There was about there was about a twenty year peak with, right. with a couple of dips, and these guys were sort of the end. If there was the plateau of greatness for Indiana basketball from like nineteen seventy four, it probably ended in nineteen ninety three. You know, and so this guy and his boys came in right at the end. So, it's a long one, which I think everybody that's listening to our podcast is getting used to at this point. Spread it out over the week, exactly. Uh, or the month. Yeah. Whatever you need to do. Make it last. You do you. Uh, hope you enjoy it. Let's get to it. Want to just do the intro for Todd? Sure. Eric, we are... Wait, did we do Powered by Pigs for Pat? I don't know. Let's we just did. do a quick Powered by that you can put on. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, just a reminder, we are... Do you think we still need to remind people of this? Well, I don't know if we need to, but I want to. We want to. Because we, we love doing it. I love saying, powered by... Some vibrato. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, th- I feel like I should go ahead and say that what, what Eric just said was pigs. <laughs> it might have gotten this, lost. It's so distorted at this point. We need to make sure we actually plug a recognizable name in there. It's so true. Uh, I really hope Mike doesn't think we're just defiling his name <laughs> of his like established website by doing this. It's just his nickname. How personally can he take it? It's true. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hoosier Nation, you know what we do here. We talk to legends. Eric, tell them a little bit about our legend for today. We are so excited to be interviewing this gentleman for so many reasons, not the least of which he is from my favorite city name in all of Indiana, (laughs) Floyd Knobs. Best city name, maybe in the country, but... From Floyd Knobs, we are talking today to Mr. Basketball playing out of Floyd Central in 1989. We are talking to a former McDonald's High School All-American. We are talking to a two-time Big Ten champ. Four appearances in the Sweet 16, one Final Four, one Elite Eight. We are talking to somebody with a career 48.1% three-point shooting percentage, which ranks third all-time at Indiana. And someone who in his senior year shot, listen to this number, everybody, (laughs) 56.9% from the three-point line, which is the number one season all-time for Indiana University, an 86% free-throw shooter for his career, a 52.3% career field goal percentage. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to Pat Graham. (laughs) Pat, how are you? I'm doing good. I don't know if I can uh, 
match up to that intro. That's as good an intro as I've ever had in my life. <laughs> well, that that's that's our high water mark. We, it's all downhill from here for us. We're good at the intro, and then it just gets bad. <laughs> I, I can do it good and bad. It's all right. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Pat, what we'd like to do is just first uh, find out where you're at now. What are you up to? What's going on in your life? My uh, girlfriend at the time in high school uh, went to college together. We graduated IU together, and we now live in Evansville, Indiana, and uh, which is about uh, about an hour and 20 minutes from your favorite town in the state of Indiana, Floyd's <laughs> Knob. Uh, it's about an hour and a half. Half, a little over an hour and a half from Bloomington, so we're kind of down here in the Pocket City, and and um, we we they embraced us down here, and we never have left, so they haven't kicked us out yet. And you're doing some coaching, right? Yeah, I don't know how smart or dumb that is, but <laughs> I got into I got into that stuff about oh, I'd probably say ten years ago, and uh, my two boys go to Memorial uh, Evansville Memorial uh, here in town, and I got coaching youth basketball, I don't know, 15 years ago, and it kind of led up to me going on the bench for the high school team about four years ago, and I, I enjoy it. I, 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 do, I do really enjoy young kids. I, I enjoy working with them. I, you know, basketball's 50%. The other part's, you know, helping kids today become better people, uh, problems. Uh, grades, girlfriends, that type of stuff. I just enjoy it. I enjoy kids, um, you know, and, and, and all in all, it's been really good. Uh, is there some pitfalls? Yeah, there's some, there's some opinionated, uh, you know, people out in the world or parents and all this good stuff, but all in all, the kids make it fun. The kids are good, but be honest, the parents are terrible. I mean, I refereed for a little bit when I was younger. I refereed like AAU basketball. I had to kick parents out of the gym. I mean, they are the worst, right? It's, um, you know, I will have to say, I, I, I have dealt with 95% great parents. Yeah. Um, do you run into a couple? Yes. Um, have I seen some things that are holy cow? Embarrassing, yes. Um, as far as directed towards me, um, yeah, again, you know, you always have someone with an agenda on why I'm coaching or I think I know everything. And, you know, it's like I tell people all the time in coaching. I, I go to a lot of sporting events in, in town. And, you know, kids you've coached in baseball, basketball growing up. And, you know, some of these kids are graduating high school. Um, a couple years ago, and so you follow them to college or whatever they're doing. Uh, not that they have to play sports in college, but just follow them. And uh, but you know, I go to a lot of youth sports, baseball, football, basketball, and and uh, you always have that agenda. You know, that person that says that I'm doing this or that. But it's like I said, I can go to a girls' basketball game, sixth grade girls' basketball game, and I'll have to grab a piece of paper and a pen because I see something. I kind of think, man, that's pretty good. Or how? Why did they do that? Or you know, and it's like you're always learning. And basketball, I'm sure, is every sport, but basketball is changing so much um, since I played it that you're always kind of catching up with something or seeing something you you never really thought about. So I just always kind of say I'm, you know, for a lot of people that think they know everything about this sport, 
I'm the one that says I don't know much of this sport. Hmm. It's always changing, and I'm always trying to learn from others and other high school coaches in this area. I'm, I'm pretty good friends with most of them, and you're always picking, uh, you know, kind of ping-ponging ideas back and forth, so you're always learning. And uh, that's in plus, like I said, the kids are what's – the kids are what's more enjoyable than anything. Sure. Um, you just kind of got to delve through the other bad stuff whenever it happens or you see it. You just kind of work through it and understand why you're actually doing this. And if you can kind of do that, it, it keeps it fun. How have you been able to uh, kind of shepherd your sons along in their basketball careers when you played at such a high level for so long in your life through you know playing at Indiana number one team in the country, champ national titles, banners hanging, and you were McDonald's High School All-American and part of a storied recruiting class that we'll get to. But h- how have you been able to kind of not put pressure on your kids or use what you did as motivation for them? Has that been a challenge? Um, you know, honestly, back uh, – I've kind of learned how we went. You know, back uh, when these when my two kids were in fifth, sixth, seventh grade, it was – there was that thought of, you know, these, and I don't think I ever sat down and meant to do it, but it was just like, it was going to happen. And, you know, at some point in time, you have to step back and go, this kid's going to be better than I am, or this kid's not going to be as good as I am. Um, Both my kids work extremely hard um, and they love the game of basketball. Uh, I wish to be honest with, with you, I, wish both my kids had quit basketball and focused on baseball. They chose not to. And a lot of people, again, think that I forced my two kids. I, my wife still hasn't forgiven either one of my kids for quitting baseball when they were 13. <laughs> but I really deep down knew what was probably coming. And, and I don't care if it's Brian Evans or Damon Bailey or Alan Henderson or myself or whoever that person is, there's a point in time where you just have to step back and go, look, they're on their own. They, they cannot, you know, most times that kid is not going to be what I was or what Brian was or what Damon was or whatever the case may be. And you just kind of go, man, they're on their own. And whenever that happens, it makes things a lot more enjoyable. And it, it happened, you know, a couple years ago. And it's just it's kind of that point where, He's not as big, he's not as strong, and or neither one of them, I should say, is as big as strong as I was or, or, or was it at the college game or even in the high school game, and they're on their own. And they've enjoyed it. They both love the game, and, and good for them. They're going to get something out of it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think every, every parent slash former player, you think that you think your kid's got to meet your whatever that was, and, you know, 95% of the time it doesn't happen. Occasionally there is one that is bigger, better, and badder, but most times it doesn't happen. Even Bull Bull is shorter than his dad. <laughs> it's true. Yes. So yes. T- t- taking uh, a step back to your childhood, you being a kid, how did you uh, find this game of basketball, besides being a, a good Indiana kid where we all end up with the basketball in our hand, how did you find out you were going to be a special basketball player and really find yourself committing to it beyond just the normal playground good times? This is kind of a weird story. I, I think. Great. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people know that I went 
from Floyd Knobs went to Floyd Center High School, but I actually grew up till I was in seventh grade in Borden, Indiana, which is about, I don't know, 12 miles away from Floyd Knobs. And Borden High School, it was K through 12. Um, I would have probably graduated with maybe 24, 25 kids in my class. And I could have stayed at Borden. I could have paid tuition and went to Silver Creek or we could have moved and went to Floyd Central where my uncle was athletic director. And in the summertime, my uh, uncle was athletic director and my aunt was a school teacher. And so I basically Floyd Central Gymnasium was my babysitter uh, in the summertime. And so I'd always go over to Floyd Central basketball camps and whatnot. And that's where I kind of fell in love with it. But in Borden, Indiana, you didn't have, again, graduating with 24, 25 kids, you didn't have football. Uh, you really didn't have enough to make a baseball team. Uh, soccer was non-existent back in that day. Golf, not really. Not even so, with Fuzzy Zeller killing it on the no. PGA Tour? <laughs> it was funny. Fuzzy was, for, you know, obviously from New Albany, and but golf was never, um, you know, and this is, when I say this, I'm not, in any way, shape, or form cutting on golf because I love golf. But golf was like when you got cut from baseball or football or basketball, you went out for the golf team. Right. Um, I sure soccer, did. <laughs> there you go. And that's the way golf was looked at. Soccer was not even a, a high school sport back when I was in high school, per se. Um, so it was kind of weird how that worked. And then when we moved and went to Floyd Central as a seventh grader, um, you know, kids were like, you're going out for football. And I'm like, I wouldn't know how to put shoulder pads on. And I'd never grown up with it. Baseball, I'd, I'd never really played baseball. And the only reason I'd played basketball, again, was because my summertime babysitter was basketball. Um, so I I got wrapped up in basketball, and it was kind of a manic thing. And people always will say to me, well, why didn't you, you, know, why didn't you play more than one sport? And it's like, I, it wasn't that I chose that. It was that where I grew up, you didn't – there was not an opportunity to play football or baseball in these other sports because it was such a small area, small school. Um, could I have picked it up then? Sure. But I was – I kind of got the basketball bug when I was in seventh grade, and, and it just kind of stuck there. It, it's funny how much of life is luck because the truth is I remember I played basketball as a kid, and I was okay, not nothing special at all, but I couldn't play any other sport – and my dad, I remember telling me, like, you know, if you focus on all sports, it's hard to be great at one. And with my limited, very limited athletic ability, just focusing on basketball allowed me to put everything into just basketball. And had I split it amongst four or five different sports, I don't think I would have ever made my high school basketball team. And for you, you wonder if you didn't grow up in Borden, if you grew up in a place that did have a football team, did have a soccer team, and just because you were an athletic kid and could play different sports, would it have affected your excelling at basketball? I mean, there's no way of knowing now, but so much of life is just the luck of the draw and where you grow up, and you look back it, at it now. Uh, I, I agree 100%, and I've had some great conversations. Again, in Evansville, Indiana, um, baseball – is big and I've got great friends, Hank Wheeler that played at the University of Evansville and and Tim Marks that played at Modern Day and U of E and played in the Pirates organization. And I help I've coached with those guys when my kids were younger. 
and we would always joke around and I would I would always help coach and pick up the game and kind of know how to teach it but as far as somebody goes well did you ever play and I said no and you know I've always had people say man you should have played baseball and I said man I'd given anything if I had had of but I said I don't think it would have ever worked out with basketball and 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 Hank will always say to me y'all you could have done it and I'm like no I couldn't because I said I was manic Hmm. and what I mean by that was I said when I was when I was working on baseball, I'd have been worried about basketball. When I was playing basketball, I'd have been worried about hitting. And I said, I was just a guy that had manic. I was, I was kind of focused on one thing. And God bless kids that can do three and four sports. And sometimes I, I take a little offense to when people say, oh, you got to play more than one sport. You know, I, I can't argue against that. But I just always say, look, if a kid wants to play one sport, fine if a kid wants to play four sports great i don't care i just i just don't think you can tell a kid well you've got to do this or you've got to do that i can i can make an argument for any of them i can make an argument for a kid that says i want to focus on baseball basketball football and this is i'm going to throw all my eggs in that basket i can argue with that and i can argue for the kid that says i want to play all three and there is an argument for you can argue for and against any of those sure. uh, I just think it's every kid's different and you know we're we're getting in this time now when everyone's got to focus and choose you got to do one thing and focus on it fully and it's you know most sports now are year-round not you know three months here and four months here and four months here it's it's you know you can't go from baseball basketball and football you got to almost focus on one quote-unquote if you want to excel at the next level and I think that's that's a bunch of BS uh, me personally, I had to do that. I right. had to do it that way. I don't think I could have ever done whatever the hell I did in basketball. It, I don't think I could have done it playing another sport. And there's kids that if they didn't play two or three sports, they would have never, they would never have done what they have done. Sure. So I can argue it both ways. And there's, there's 10 different arguments to it. And I always just sat back and listened because, you know, everybody's always got the right answer. And I'm always <laughs> like, I could argue – Whatever, whatever your opinion is on it, I can argue against you, um, and I can I can argue against anybody for any of them. Yeah, that's what uh, Eric I and I do with each other. We we just we just purposely play devil's advocate with the other's opinion. And and, and I think every every kid, it's that kid's choice. It shouldn't be the parents' choice. It's the kid's choice. And both of my kids chose to just play basketball. And I to this day wish they'd have quit basketball and played focused on baseball. They didn't want to do that. And it was pretty hard for me to force something on them. But, you know, they live with that, and they've enjoyed it, and they love it, and, and good for them. Well, speaking for, I think, every Indiana fan that remembers your game very well, I, I will say thank God you manically uh, were getting shots up at Floyd Central in those summers because watching you shoot the basketball was such a joy. I have to ask, while you were doing that as a kid, and I assume we're talking now you're 10, 11, 12, 13, getting shots up, what did Indiana University basketball mean to you at that point, or did it mean anything? Uh, were there guys that you were emulating your game after or people you aspired to be? And what was your connection to just Indiana University as a kid? It was, it was funny. Of course, Floyd Knobs area, and of course that's Romeo, New Albany area. Oh, yeah, we'll, were, we'll get to that for sure. Right. I, I grew up, I was in, you know, I may be off a little bit here, but, you know, I was 10 minutes from the University of Louisville. I was an hour and a half from Bloomington. I was an hour and a half from Lexington. 
and I was probably, what, three hours from West Lafayette. So in my area, you know, in when I was 10 years old, UofL won it. When I was 11 years old, IU won it. And then 86, 87, again, UofL wins it, U of, IU wins it in 87. So um, Purdue was always pretty good. Kentucky was obviously pretty good. I was in the hotbed of college basketball. Yes. And it was, I guess, you know, back then you just kind of took it for granted. But yeah, I had. That, that seems a like a long my, time ago now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I was growing up, um, I had family on my mom's side that were Purdue fans. And when I say Purdue fans, you know, ridiculous Purdue fans. And they Is hate there any other kind? And yeah. I, well, yeah, I mean. I, I always say I, I don't really, you know, I think fans made the, the rivalry so much worse than, um, I shouldn't say worse. They they made it a lot bigger deal, the hatred. But, I mean, they, they despised IU. And it wouldn't matter if it was, um, you know, women's ping pong at IU. They hated it. and <laughs> But it was this chip on their shoulder that, you know, we were the, the redheaded stepchild. And it's like, good God, who, I mean, I just I never could quite understand the hatred for all these schools. Um, my dad well, despised it, Kentucky. It, Pat, if you've got another four or five hours, I can walk you through my hatred for all those schools. <laughs> well, I it, and and I learned I understood it, but where where we're from, you 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 had an issue with Kentucky a lot more than a hatred for Purdue. Sure, sure. Down in Southern Indiana, five minutes from U of L, an hour and a half from from Kentucky. So the U of L and IU fanfare hated Kentucky more than Purdue where I'm from. But where did you and, fall? Where did you fall? Uh, you know, my dad was a guy who I wouldn't say he was, I wouldn't have considered him an IU fan. I think he was a Bob Knight fan. My dad was a, uh, believed in discipline and, you know, going to work and, you know, that lunch pail guy. I mean, you, you, you showed up to work, you got home, you ate dinner with your family. It was just, it was a very, uh, detailed discipline life and that was just the way my dad was he appreciated coach knight's teams uh but i never you know he never was this rah-rah guy where bob knight's always right and everyone else is wrong and if you don't like bob knight you're a jerk my dad was never like that he just appreciated bob knight coach teams and so my first really the first time i can remember sitting down and watching basketball was our neighbors was some of those purdue families the, that was part of my family. And so I remember sitting down on the television and Joe Barry Carroll and, and Arnett Hall and those Purdue teams and against the IU teams, Kitchell and Whitman and all those guys. Like I can remember those, that's the first remembrance of basketball that I can remember sitting down. And I mean, it's hard to say because I think it was on probably a 18, 19 inch television and, and, you know, you were, Somebody was holding up the antenna to keep the <laughs> the uh, picture right. And yeah, aluminum was foil on the in that area. Oh, exactly. It was aluminum foil, and those were the you know. And of course, there was bicker. And I'm just sitting there watching this game, not quite understanding the 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 rivalry. So, yeah, it was. That's when I kind of got, and I'm probably ten or eleven. You know, well, I was even more than that. I was probably seven, eight, nine years old at that time, and. I, those were the those were the the first times where I can remember watching a basketball game and going, man, this is this isn't just uh, uh, tic tac toe here. I mean, there's, this is a little of importance, and um, 
and then it kind of went from there. But yeah, where, I, where we grew up, there was with the U of L right across the river, and and of course Kentucky and, and Indiana, kind of that rivalry. That's how I grew up. Now, when I got to IU, and we can talk about it now or later, but when I got to IU and the Todd Learys and and the Brian Evans and all these guys up north or for up closer to Bloomington, um, we call it the equator, you know, up up more towards the Indianapolis area, it was this Purdue hatred. So it's always funny on which part of the state you come from, um, on what your, you know, we lost, if we lose to Kentucky, my mom and dad had a tough time going to work the next day. <laughs> where where other guys, if if we lost to Purdue, their their families or their moms and dads couldn't go to, to, to work. Or they had a tough time going to work. So it was a little different on the rivalries and where you come from in the state. Yeah, I'm from Peru, north-central Indiana, so little town. And it was definitely way more fired up after a Purdue game, which obviously, you know, it was a couple of times a year for sure. And the only right. the, the only experience I really had growing up of, of – uh, resenting Kentucky because the rivalry, you know, it was still, you know, we'd play at the RCA dome and stuff like that. So it was still, it was still great, but it was that Kyle Macy, the only Mr. Basketball from Peru went to Kentucky. And it was just, it was this, you know, it was after, you know, I I wasn't born when that happened, but it was like this legacy we kind of had to live with. We're so proud of him. And yet as an IU fan, it was so painful that he, he went down there and won a title with him. Right. Yes. Pat, did you ever when when did Indiana University enter your life as it pertains to a possibility of you playing college basketball? And did you ever become an Indiana fan before you went there? Like did that start as a kid in Indiana or was it really just you made the decision that that would be the best place for you to play basketball? Walk us through how Coach Knight and Indiana entered your life. Well, it was um you know, back Again, this is in 80, I guess, 85, 86. And AAU, which now controls the world, um, AAU was really just getting going. And I remember, you know, kind of my class, or, you know, I don't really know about older classes, but like my class when I was a eighth grade freshman, sophomore area, you had, you know, there was a Coach Matthews at, at – uh, New Washington had a team, which is down where I was from. There was a team out of Evansville. There was uh, Tisdale Tigers out of Indianapolis. Um, Might have been one out of Fort Wayne. And then there was Bloomington Red. And so there may have been at that time maybe, I don't know, six, let's say six or seven uh, AAU programs in the state of Indiana. And now there's 27 teams and each age level in Evansville. I mean, it's just, it's grown and now everybody plays. Back then, if you were chosen to play on an AAU team, uh, normally that meant you were, you were maybe just a notch above being average and you had to be pretty decent to even get chosen. And I was playing for New Washington, uh, uh, Coach Matthews, and we played in a tournament at Bloomington South High School and I played against Pat Knight and some of these guys, Chris Lawson, and and uh, I think I, if I can remember it correctly, I played uh, pretty well. Um, didn't really, again, didn't really comprehend who was there, and 
you know, I just knew you were just going to play and try to win the game, blah, blah, blah. And uh, after the game, I remember going downstairs and coming back up, and my mom was there. Uh, Sean Gibson, a high school teammate of mine, had come up with her. And we get in the car, and we're heading home, and my uh, Sean Gibson is, Miss Graham, Miss Graham, you got to tell him, you got to tell him. And what ended up happening was Coach Knight ha- was there at the game, and I did not know that. And he had came down and asked my mother, do you have a problem if I start, you know, just made chit-chat, and, and um, do you have a problem if, if uh, I recruit your son? And she turned around, of course, my mom, she goes, do you know he's diabetic? And I'm like, mom, why would you have said that to him? Like, keep that on the back burner. We don't need to really. And she just being a mother, but uh, he said, well, if he can play like that, I could care less what he is. And um, that's kind of, so I went to play for Bloomington Red and, and, or the following week I was asked to change teams and go to Bloomington Red. I told coach Matthews, coach Matthews said, if you don't go, I'm going to punch you in the nose. Basically you have to go. And so I joined that team, and we had, you know, it was uh, Chris Lawson and Matt Painter and Matt Petty went to from Crawfordsville and myself and Nate Tubbs, Minnesota. Kenny Rowan uh, went to uh, – or Kenny Rowan went to uh, uh, Indiana State. We just had a – well, we had probably one of the best AAU teams ever assembled, and um, that's when the whole IU thing started. And that, that was somewhere between my freshman and my sophomore year. So then as your your high school career also is going at this point, you know, and, and Mr. Basketball as a high school player, I mean, I'd, I'd say that is the greatest honor in the country is to be Indiana's Mr. Basketball because we all know there's no state that reveres high school basketball more. Was was that like a goal at, at some point where you're like, I'm, you know, there's some really other great high school players in the state. Some of them you're on an AAU team with, uh, other ones you play against in AAU games or in your high school games. Is is this something you want to accomplish along with a state title? And, and is there a rivalry amongst you guys to go after it? It was, I can only speak for myself. I never even dreamed um, of Mr. Basketball and, you know, when you're in southern Indiana, and I always kind of say it's a, it's kind of a crux, but I get it. I actually do understand how this works, um, you know, quote-unquote the politics or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you're from southern Indiana, you don't even think of winning Mr. Basketball. I mean, there's very few from down our way that ever even was even considered. And um, so, I mean, not to make an excuse, but like, that was kind of just the thing. Like you're Southern Indiana, you're not winning it. Mm. And so it was never even thought of. And, you know, I can remember being a sophomore in high school and I don't know, it was a hoop scoop magazine and I was ranked number seven. And I remember as a sophomore in high school seeing that and I was ecstatic that they even knew who I was. <laughs> I mean, I can remember being number seven, Chris Lawson and Greg Graham was one, two. I think Lawson was one. Greg was two. And I was number seven. I was like, they 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 didn't misspell my name they know who i am oh my god i mean i had it in my i had it on my wall and then you know as time went on then i kind of almost used it as a uh motivational piece at at one time i was ecstatic that i was even in the top 20 and now uh you know then when i became a junior senior it was kind of motivation and uh 
but yeah, you know, we we all that those AAU teams that I played on, we all got along and it was fun and you had Bailey and Montrose playing up and it was just those were some of the best times ever. And I just never felt I never I again I'm I can't I can't talk for other guys. I just never saw a rivalry in it in it. Mm. Uh, as far as Mr. Basketball, because it was kind of out of your hands. The farther you went in state, the more votes you would get. You know, if you were on the – if it was between five of us and four of us got knocked out in sectional, the guy who went the farthest, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, what was the farthest you guys got? We beat uh, – we got the state, got beat by Kokomo in the Final Four my senior year. Um, and, and by the way, for viewers I, that are younger viewers – I don't need to say this to anybody that the age of Ward or older, but for our younger viewer listeners, this is when high school basketball in Indiana was real high school basketball. This wasn't a class Correct. system. This was everybody playing Correct. against everybody else. A real Final Four. This was the movie Hoosiers, Correct. guys. This is this is when it was real and pure. So making state back, making state now is a big deal in the state of Indiana, but making the Final Four in the state state tournament in Indiana high school basketball is everything, everything. It's hard to overstate it. Right. I can remember, you know, you go back to the time when I was talking about Borden, which was a, in today's world, is a 1A, and they won state. Actually, one of my uh, favorite teammates, Craig McCoy, who uh, I still think we win state if we'd had him. He got injured our junior year towards ACL, and again, back then, you know, that was a – a life sentence there on a, right. on an ACL, unlike today. But Craig McCoy had a son that played on Borden about, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. They ended up winning state 1A. Wow. But I can remember back then being at Borden and going to sectionals at Floyd Central. And here you got this little 1A school, and you've got the, the Floyd Centrals. And, and I can remember those games. And Back then, if you were a one A school and you could knock off the big the big bully school next door, that was like winning state. Mm-hmm. And that was what, in my opinion, made high school basketball what it was back in that day. It, you might not win state, you know. There's there's very few milums, but, but you know it's it's that thing where if, if the if the small school can knock off the big school and and there was that type of thing going on. Uh, just to win sectional was a big deal, and of course now they've 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 made it four classes. And yeah. no, I mean I know times change, and I don't want to be this old grandpa sounding guy that back in my day it was better. But man, I I do think Chris Reynolds always said that when we got to IU. And of course the following year Bailey played, and I think the next year is when it went to class. But you know, I remember Chris Reynolds saying that. You all had one of the greatest things going. It was always kind of a neat thing to hear about that. And he goes, what do you all – if we're like, well, we really don't understand it either. But when they changed it, I said it was it was for money. And, and uh, I, I think they've proven that they've lost quite a bit by going it – by doing it the way they do it now. No doubt. Uh, I don't think it's helped revenue. Maybe I'm wrong about that, well, but I don't think it has. I don't think you're the crotchety old grandpa saying it. It was better then. It was just more exciting. Preach into the choir here. So, Pat, we know when your mother first met Coach Knight. When was the first time you remember meeting Coach Knight? And if you can, try to give us a sense of what Coach Knight 
What was the aura of Coach Knight back when you met him? What did that mean to you? Were you intimidated? What was your perception of him going into the meeting? And did it change at all after the first meeting? The first time I ever met him was on, uh, we had went up uh, again for one of these AAU uh, practices. And I was, I guess it would have been, and it's again, it's been so long ago and the, the wordage and the verbiage, how it was considered. But I guess I was going to go up there and have a unofficial visit. I don't know what they even called it back then. Right. And uh, I went in, uh, my mom and dad and I went up and we we went into coach office and Mary meeting us there. And Coach Dockets was there and some others. And I, I do remember walking in and um in his office, his his desk, his uh, chair behind there, there were two chairs sitting in front of his desk, and there was a couch. And I can remember uh, Coach Knight went going over, or it was either that or he had Coach Dockers do it, but, like, he was moving all this fish and tackle and magazines, and so my dad could sit down, and, and of course, uh, he moved some stuff out of these two chairs for my mother and I to sit down. And, you know, it was it wasn't... I wouldn't say it was nerve wracking. I mean, yeah, it was, it was this holy moly, you know, this is coach Knight, but you know, I understood there was a reason I was here. And, um, I do remember us sitting down and, and in, in choice words, he said, um, I've heard that you're looking at Kentucky <laughs> and like kind of the first words out of his mouth, as far as this meeting's getting ready to take place. And I just thought to myself, well, you know, it's it's fight or flight here. And I thought, <laughs> I'm, I've, I've got to stand up. And I said, you know, yes, sir, I, you know, I am looking at him. So he has Coach Dockage to go get a, um, I guess it would have been a, um, a yearbook or program from the Kentucky game the year before. And I remember, you know, he basically said, look, if you're going to go there, I, I'm not going to waste your time. I don't want you wasting my time, blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of said, you know, I, I said I was I was looking at him. It's not like I'm commi- have committed to him. Right. And again, I'm sitting there getting tongue tied, but I'm like, I didn't really know how to answer these questions because I'm like, is he trying to fool me? Is he trying to mess me up here or what? But here comes Coach Dockets with the programs and he goes through and he rattles off some players that, you know, were coming back and, and this and that. And, and so, you know, I, I just kind of held my ground on it. And I, we talked and discussed what, you know, he, where he saw me play for IU and, you know, what role and all this. And it was, it was pretty good because, you know, it was, it was nothing like, you know, you have some coaches at all. We're going to, the ball is going to be in your hand and we're going to, you know, you're going to get 24 shots up as a freshman. And we, everyone knows that's not true. Again, back then was much different today. Right. And, uh, you know, he didn't sell you a bill of goods. It, it was, it was, this is where I see you. You're going to have to work hard. You have to go to class. And, you know, he kind of gives you this thing. And my mom and dad are sitting there like, sounds great to us. And it was pretty short and sweet, but yeah, the very first question, you know, how, you know, good trip, uh, good drives. And then all of a sudden he goes, I heard you're looking at Kentucky. <laughs> and it was like, oh, and it, it, that's kind of when it, and there's no way I can turn around and look at my mom and dad. Hey, can you help me out here? And I just said, I admitted, yes, I had been down there and yes, they had reached out and, 
they were showing interest and and so it was it was pretty good but uh, you know after that it would it wasn't much longer i committed and everything was well was to and, indiana and in that commitment you know i'd read something to the effect of how the ball got rolling with that incredible class you were a part of and can you talk a little bit about how you remember that playing out where like who was the first one in that you remember and and when did you start to realize that you were going to be showing up in Bloomington with a super class? Yeah, it was it was funny because I think Chris Lawson was the very first one to commit and I think he even committed like as as a sophomore. Hmm. Um and then if I'm not mistaken, I think Greg committed next. Um, he and I actually were on a recruiting visit, and that was a great story. That was when um, Jay Edwards hit the shot behind the backboard to put us up. There was a timeout. We were about 20 rows behind the bench, and the basketball manager came up to us. His mother, my family, we were all sitting there, and he said, now, as soon as this game's over, we're going to come up and get you. We're going to take you in the locker room. And of course, assembly hall is going nuts, and we're kind of like, okay, cool. And so they threw it in, and um, I think it was Nick Anderson hits oh, the half court shot to beat us. Mm, yeah, Illinois. Nick and Anderson. classic story: Greg and I sitting there, and an hour and a half after the game, me and Greg still sitting there. <laughs> there was no manager. There was no manager. There was no assistant coach. No one come and got us. And needless to say we never went in the locker room after that game but um <laughs> yeah that was kind of like man this is the you know to normally it's your you're bending over backwards for the recruits right and then when that happens you kind of look back on it and when we after you get there and you play a little bit you understand how important those games are and how good wins are and how bad losses are and so I was like, what were we thinking? Like, we actually thought they were going to let us in the locker room after that loss. <laughs> and uh, just kind of, you get smarter as you get older. But I think Greg committed next. It was me. Um, maybe even Reynolds next. Calvert come in there, too. I mean, but again, it was, I never, again, I can only speak for myself. I never really looked at it like, man, he's coming and we're the same position or whatever. It's just like there's seven of us and there's only five that start and there's some pretty good players coming back. Now, granted you lost Jay, uh, to the pros, but you know, you still had Anderson and Jamal Meeks and those guys and Lennon Jones and Jeff off Mark Robinson, but there was seven of us coming in. And, um, Oh, it was, I think we, I think it made the choice easier for me instead of like, well, I don't want to go there because there's too many freshmen. I never looked at it that way. Well, and when you're that good, don't you just like believe you're going to be the one that gets on the court and those other guys will have to fight it out to, for, for minutes? I, you know, I've always said until I was probably senior in high school, I didn't know I was any good. Mm. Um, and that's, I hate to say it, but my high school coach was tougher than, coach Knight was and so wow when I was in high school and and I'm kind of saying that in jest but like I knew I was pretty good but I never I, I never dreamed McDonald's All-American I never dreamed of Mr. Basketball and you know when you start finally competing and and winning some of those and kind of believe in me and I maybe here maybe I do belong and, and so I, I guess back then you just didn't really believe that i mean i just figured i was gonna have to go and just fight for everything and and that's kind of how it happened it's probably the only reason i made it through four or five years up there is because that's kind of the way i believed it was supposed to be and nothing was just going to be handed to you i guess it's funny that you talk 
about like not thinking you were all that good until your senior year because my memory of your game and what I loved about your game is you played with I don't want to call it a swagger but you definitely played with an edge you you played with an intensity and an edge that to me as a kid watching you just reeked of confidence I mean it, right. it just reeked of this is a guy who knows his game. He knows what he can do on the court and the hell with anybody else who wants to get in his way. And so it's, it's funny hearing you talk almost like you were a little unsure until your senior year because, I mean, I remember hearing about the recruiting class and your name at the top of the list. Right. And, and, and I do want to add just real quickly, just to set the stage here, that recruiting class, we've named most of them, but it's, you, it's Greg Graham, it's Calbert Chaney, it's Chris Reynolds, Todd Leary, Chris Lawson, and Lawrence Funderburk. Yes. So this class, I remember my dad telling me he was a subscriber, I think back then, to Inside Indiana Magazine. And there was an article written that said, with this recruiting class, it is not when Bob Knight will win his next national championship. It's how many. Right. Did you feel that pressure coming into Indiana with those kinds of expectations on you? Never. We never, uh, we never, that is one thing that we never felt any pressure on winning a national championship. Did we want to win one? Yes. We, you know, we all joke, of course, you know, back then very few kids had tattoos and all that stuff. And we always joked and said, if we would win the national championship, we're getting tattoos. <laughs> and, uh, and it was kind of a joke just meaning cause all of us would have been scared and in tears if we had to do that. <laughs> that was kind of the running joke, but um, we didn't have any pressure. Like I never thought about winning a national championship when we got up there. I mean, sure, we, did we think we had a shot? Yes, but did we? Did we? Oh, this is going to be easy. Never, never one time. And you know, of course, our freshman year, I can remember. Um, Greg started some. I think I started a little bit. Thunderbird obviously was the, you know, the catch of the whole recruiting class. And and he didn't even play a senior year in Ohio because he had transferred and whatever. And But he was outstanding good. And, um, you know, again, no one even knew who Calvert was. Right. And uh, I can remember – I can remember getting up there for our first two or three open gyms and – Coach just had the older guys, us playing with the older guys, and hopefully trying to figure something out about this motion, motion offense. And, I mean, you know, it took me, you know, you're just trying to go from A to B, B to C, C to D. And, I mean, I've told that story. Like, it took me a week to get from A to B. And <laughs> in the first two days, Calvert was like on MNO. I mean, it was like, holy moly. And, and so, Calvert was – Calvert was very much like I am saying about like when I was in high school, like you didn't comprehend how, how good or bad you were. You just, you just played and you, whatever fanfare you got, you got, but you never quite comprehended. Cause again, you didn't have social media to compare me versus a guy in, you know, in Tempe, Arizona. Right. You didn't have, you didn't have people posting stats from every game on every, uh, you know, from every, 
small town and every player ranked in the top 300 you wait, would wait, follow. Yes. Wait, Pat, you didn't have a highlight reel on YouTube from your <laughs> summer AAU games? Your mixtape? No. No, we did not. And that that's the that's the that's what's again, I I'll sound like grandpa here, but I mean that's what is wrong with the game today and 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 again, I know I'm almost 50 years old and and i sang but it's just it's ridiculous the rankings and these people that do these stats and these these uh recruiting thing it's it's todd leary and i've spoke about it i mean it's grotesque and leary's like you know you and i can do that tomorrow and know more than 99.9 percent of the people in the country and i was like i agree with you i said the problem is i said people just steal from others and post things i said it's just it's ridiculous but getting off subject but when we get we get up there and seriously like it was three practices in and then i never forget we're in the shower and i'm like calvert's our best player and somebody goes yeah he's pretty good freshman i'm like no he's not our he's not our best freshman he's our best player wow and eric anderson even would be like holy you know who's this kid and and calvert was Calvert never knew it. Like Calvert was a junior before he knew he was pretty good. Like <laughs> great kid, great teammate, hardest worker, first in, last out. I mean, he just the he was the prototypical teammate that, by the way, was the best player in the country or the best player on your team, and it wasn't close. And he was the most giving, caring guy I'd ever been around as far as a teammate. Plus, he was your best player, and it just he just. That just—that's what made him special. Yeah, um, that's a good recipe for a team when your best player is also the best teammate. I mean, that and, is special. And the and your best player didn't know he's your best player. I mean, right. it's just like modesty. You had to tap him on the shoulder and go, "Hey, numb that. It's it's time for it's time for you to take over. Like, <laughs> quit passing. Them, like, let's go." But that was seriously. Uh, that was just his makeup. It's just the way his makeup was. So, uh, Pat, for you individually, Mr. Basketball, the state of Indiana, heralded recruiting class, you come in, you've been a star now in high school for quite some time. You went to state Final Four. At this point, you do know you're a good player. Now, you do say you come in and you see how good Calbert is, but mm-hmm. but your role on this team, especially your freshman year, is very different than any role you've had in the last several years. How yep. is that to adjust to for you? It it, it wasn't that hard. Uh, I think everyone everyone goes through that. Um, you know, you kind of got this little piece in, in in the back of your mind that you think, "Man, I hope, I hope I get to step in and take Jay Edwards' spot." But then there's this. You know, that's maybe a little 2% of your brain, and then the other 98% after two practices goes, I have no chance in hell of doing this. <laughs> and you're almost calling your parents going, figure out where I can transfer because I can't play here. And so there's this there's this, this thing, it's just this weight that goes from right shoulder to left shoulder, right shoulder to left shoulder, because you're like, you leave the gym one day, and you're like, I'm good. Like, I belong here. And then the next day you leave there going, I'm never going to see the court. I don't even know if he'll dress me. And I jokingly say that, but it was true. And I think every one of us, um, you get that feeling every single day. And that's why I say you're always on your toes because you are always on your toes. Because as soon as you have a great week of practice and maybe even a good game, 
the next day in practice you can't buy a basket you can't get a foul you can't then you you're on the you're the seventh guy you go into turnovers you're on the end of the bench and that can happen in a split second and that was the roller coaster as a, of a freshman at IU again I can only speak for myself but I'm I'm guessing a Kitchell or Whitman these guys would kind of understand what I mean when I say that so it was just this constant up and down up and down you know uh goods bads uh positives negatives and the whole time you got night on your ass um trying to motivate you or keep your concentration level or whatever and so it was just a constant fight and it was you never could relax you never could put your um put your com- comfort zone on because it never was there. And that was for five, my five years. That was, it was that way. Hell, it was that way when I was redshirted. Um, you know, it was the same way. It was just constantly a battle to try and fight through every day, trying to be, make, be a positive and not a negative for the team. And in that psychological warfare, I'm guessing like your fellow freshmen, are you guys kind of there for each other as a pledge class? Are yes. there assistant coaches uh, like Dan Dockich? Are they are they there to kind of help you? Because, you know, Coach Knight's probably not going to like, hey, come here, kid, cry on my shoulder for a little bit. <laughs> it was good because, you know, Coach Fell and Coach Dockich and those guys, they were good. Uh, they were very good at knowing when. Now, did they push you to the brink? Yeah. I mean, they pushed you to the edge. But – Dockage was kind of the guy that took me, and um, you know, Felling had his guys. Dockage, for whatever reason, I, I, I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't consider Dockage was the guy that recruited me, but Dockage was the guy that I could kind of go and talk to. And sometimes he'd kick me in the butt, and sometimes he'd say, "Come in here, kids, sit down, let's talk." And sometimes you needed that. Um, and then the players were all the same way. Uh, you know, but again, you got to think there's seven freshmen and normally not all seven freshmen had a good practice together or a bad practice together. So, you know, the time you go in the steak and shake to grab a burger and I've had a good day and the guy sitting next to me's had a bad day, I don't want to talk to you. And vice versa, the next day I might be in the, you know, my chins down on my French fries and the two guys sitting at my table have had great days. So it was just, again, it was, there was a lot of loneliness, I guess is a word you'll say. Like there's, there's, um, there was just days where you just felt kind of alone. And there was, there was days in after wins or whatever, where it was, man, this is unbelievable. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making this out there like it was horrible. I, there was, I wouldn't say there was many just terrible days, but there was some tough days. And it's, again, I think you were questioning yourself. Uh, can you do this, especially your freshman year? Sure. Because, you know, if you take a left, you should have went right. If you shot it, you should have passed. If you passed, you should have shot it. It doesn't matter. You know, you get, go to the Gatorade, you should have got water. If you get water, you should have got Gatorade. I mean, it didn't matter what you did. It was wrong. And then there's Calbert over there doing everything perfect. <laughs> well, it, the, the great thing about Calbert was, you know, I say that, but Calvert had his days too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I know he did. Um, you know, I could I would probably I'd never tell him I said that, but I it's kind of that you know Calvert didn't have as many bad days as I had. I'll, I can say that and be honest. But Calvert had his struggles too. Trust me, it was. Uh, well, Calvert also know, walked us through when we talked to Calvert. He did walk us through the struggles he had academically. 
that there were oh, issues yeah. with Calbert in the classroom that he had to get hold of because that was a whole other world. Because besides the just rigorous practicing and mental um, energy that you're spending on just trying to play basketball, which has always been just a game at this point for you, and probably really fun, you're also having to go to school. And, yeah. and and take classes that are harder than anything you took in high school. And obviously, Coach Knight is a guy who values that and isn't going to let you skate by without going to school. That's the tough time. You get done with a, with a practice or whatever, and you have a tough day or whatever the case may be, and you just want to go home, and hopefully you wake up in the morning and all's, all's forgotten or all's back to normal. And you got a tutor. And uh, <laughs> the last thing Calvert wanted to do was go to a tutor after he had a tough day. <laughs> and But that's the way it was. And, again, the freshman year was the toughest year for, I would, I would venture to guess most of us would, I could speak for all of us, in that we didn't have a clue what to do. I mean, you know, uh, with, with the going to class thing on top of, 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 of basketball road trips and, you know, no one told us to go to our professors and tell them we weren't, if we weren't there, we had to let them know. It just, you just figured out a lot of things on your own by mistakes. And, um, and you, you just kind of got through it that way. And um, it's just the way it was. So, Pat, when we're watching as fans and not knowing anything that goes on on kind of the daily grind, here's what we see. We see Bob Knight has won three national titles at this point with Indiana, including an undefeated season in 76. And just a couple years ago with a team that was a great college basketball team, but no real NBA talent outside of Dean Garrett you know, who went on to any real NBA success, wins the national title, and now he's got the best recruiting class in the world and maybe all time. And we're, and, and we're thinking, my God, Bob Knight is the best college basketball coach, best basketball coach ever, and he's got the best recruiting class in the country ever. When you're in the daily grind, are you able to see how good Coach Knight is as a coach? Or are you just trying to survive? Uh, I was just trying to survive, honestly. Um, you, I, I never, I knew, I, I knew Coach Knight was a great coach. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. I mean, sure. you know, even, even in high school, with, you know, when he won at '87, and you're kind of looking at, at, they're beating Coleman and those guys from Syracuse and Cyclic. You knew he was really good at taking. You know, if 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 Coach Knight had a team that had A, B, C, D, E, F, and the other coach had the same team, uh, Coach Knight's going to win. You know, ninety-five out of a hundred times. Right. But when he could take a team that just had an A and a B, and, and he's beating a team with A through L, and you're like, "How is he doing this?" Yes. Um, then we got, then he gets this unbelievable recruiting class, as you said. And how didn't he win it? Well, you know, there's a few things that happened. One, Chris Lawson transfers. Right. And I'm not questioning that. If Chris wanted to transfer, he should have transferred. He went to Vanderbilt, had a great great career, blah, blah, blah. You had Funderburk quit. Um, so there's two of those seven guys gone. Um, by the so, way, by the way, I do like how you said Chris transferred, but Funderburk quit. Yeah, Chris, yeah, he – yeah, Lawrence left us – you know, right before the UTEP game, and 
he kind of just up and left. And it yeah. was kind of uh, – Chris did it the right way, waiting in the season. you know. And, again, who am I to question how anyone does anything? I'm worried about myself. I wasn't worried about others. but Well, and Thunder Burke is on record of saying he regrets how that happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and you know, that's the thing. Was I best friends with all these guys? No. Was I close to him on the floor? Absolutely. And Lawrence, um, Lawrence had got kicked out of a practice. Which, again, when I when I say kicked out of a practice, maybe that you know kids today may have don't know what happens on that. But I mean, occasionally you messed up or pushed the coaches to the brink, and you get kicked out of practice, and it happened. It happened to me in high school plenty of times. So when it happened to me in college. It wasn't into the world, and um, uh, you know I—I'll be quite honest with you. Coach Knight knew my high school coach. Uh, there were some players that in high school that I went in with had never been yelled at in, in high school. I mean, they—they had never been yelled at. They had never been their voices raised at them. They—they they didn't understand it. So I was blessed to have the high school coach that I had and assistant coaches I had in high school because this was kind of second nature. And the very first practice I ever had at IU, I hit a three first practice. I hit a three-pointer almost like the sales come out. I mean, it was like, thank God a ball went in. I can run up and down the court. I'm loose, and I get thrown out of practice as soon as I shot the shot. So Coach Dockage come in, I'm totally bewildered. And, yeah, I remember Clarksville Providence was my school that Coach always picked on. And he's like, you know, Graham, we're not at bleeping, bleeping Clarksville Providence. This isn't the way we play. Get out of my practice. So I'm like, I mean, this is literally after warm-ups. This is 30 seconds into a uh, little bit of a scrimmage we'd played. And Dockage come in and, he said, here's the deal. You're going to wait in here two minutes. You're going to come out. I'm going to walk out. You're going to wait two minutes. You're going to come back on the floor. If he kicks you out again, you come in here, wait two minutes. You go back on the floor and do this, repeat, until he doesn't kick you out. And I'm like, but what, what? He goes, don't ask me any questions. Don't figure this out. Do what I say. So that's, that's exactly what happened. And I waited. Coach Dockage walked out. I waited two minutes. I went back on the floor. Uh, he, he did not kick me out, and um, I went straight back into play. I thought, screw this. I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to be gun shy. So I went right back into playing. Never had another issue um, that day, at least. And then we got playing. I think I don't know what our record was at that time. And I I know I got kicked out a couple of times um, up to that point. But Funberg had never been kicked out. He got kicked out, and when he got kicked out. He left. Okay. He didn't. He didn't stay around there and try to get back into the practice. Which, if I'd have got thrown out and Coach Dockus should not come in the locker room, like I wouldn't have left. I'd have been scared to death. Like, what am I supposed to do here? And <laughs> and so, but Thunderbird just got his car or whatever and went by, went to his apartment. And so the next morning we were leaving for UTEP, and his nameplate was down, and they said he had quit the team. Wow. And we were all kind of like. What just happened? But if I you obviously probably don't remember that, but I just remember we go to UTEP. UTEP was pretty good. Don Haskins was a coach, and I think I don't know if that was a Saturday or a Sunday game, but Calvert High has 28, and it was the you know welcome the nation gets to see this kid, 
And that's when everyone in the country found out who Calvertini was. And that was, I think, on CBS or whatever. And um, that was big time. And uh, it was kind of like, all right, we're, we're going to be okay without Lawrence if Calvert plays like that. So it was, it was kind of funny. But, yeah, we all got uh, – you know, I always figured, wh- why did I get thrown out quicker than anyone? And I still look back and go, he knew my high school coach. And he probably had a general idea that I could handle it. And I want you seven, you know, idiot freshmen that think you know everything. This is how you're going to get treated. You're not, I'm not babying you. And Graham, you're just going to have to take the one for the, you know, you're going to have to take the first bullet for the team. And I did. So by the way, it was fine with me. I I wish you'd give me a heads up before. (laughs) By the way, Pat, that is kind of what I was referring to before. My question about, us from the outside thinking Coach Knight is this the greatest coach of all time, and then he gets this great recruiting class. I wasn't questioning why we didn't win. There's a million reasons why a championship doesn't. Oh happen. yeah, I, what I right. was really what I was really after is what you kind of just explained. Like you're just a kid trying to get from point A to B. To you, yes. he's not the greatest coach in the history of the game. He's the guy who's on your ass, who's kicking you out of practice, and you just want to survive. And I think Correct. as fans. We don't have that perspective that, yes, these are great coaches, but even great coaches, when they're interacting with their team, you're just the coach and the player, and, and the players are trying to survive. You're, you, are one, you are 100% correct. And what, you know, I've got a lot of friends of mine who are wacko IU fans, and I've got, um, I've got some friends that, that played basketball, high school basketball, basketball at Harrison High School here in Evansville with Walter McCarty at Wins, Kentucky. And some of those guys are huge IU fans. And, and so in talking to people, you just kind of said it. Like, people don't comprehend. They remember growing up watching this and everyone saying how great coach was and everything. I guess I never had that. You know, I never had – again, I was never ranked. And – I don't really remember ever saying Coach Knight's the greatest coach ever to walk the face of the earth. And, you know, I guess you just looked and said, man, he's, he runs a great program, a clean program. I'm going to graduate. Damn, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a grind, whatever. I just guess I, I, I guess I was just small town, Floyd Knob <laughs> country, naive, but that's just kind of the way I saw it. And, yes, when I got there, everybody goes, well, how did you? And I said, well, Again, I had a great high school upbringing where it was the toughest or the best players were treated the toughest. Um, and I got – that was a blessing in disguise for me. Um, you know, I, but, but you said it right. I think until it's over, until you're out of the game or you're retired or whatever you want to call it or they tell you you can't play anymore, that's when you get to look back and go – yeah, he was pretty good. Or boy, Calvert. You know, I didn't know how good Calvert was until after I got him playing with him. Right. Um, it's it's that when when everything's done and settled, then you look back and go, "Damn, he was good." Or "Damn, coach was good." Or "Damn, that team was really good." Or whatever the case may be. Well, but when you're going, when you're living it for those four or five years, you seriously, especially when you're younger. You're just trying to get through it. It's kind of like the military, I'm guessing. And I've never been in the military. And trust me, I'm not trying to compare playing college basketball to the military because that's a thousand times tougher. 
but I'm guessing it's somewhat when you're going through the military and the training, you're going, I'm just trying to live day to day. I'm just trying to get through the next two hours. Well, especially and, and with Coach Knight. Look back on it, well, exactly. Yeah, you're right. I agree with that. But you just kind of at the end of it, you go, damn, that was that was pretty hard or that was pretty tough or that was a, you know, that guy was really hard on me, but man, I got a lot out of it. And I think that's where you have to kind of look back and go, um, maybe then you can grade it and see how it was or how good he was or how great a coach he was. And for all of us who will never know as much about basketball as, as you've forgotten, how can you define, uh, put a point on what did make Coach Knight so exceptional? How much was it tactical that he just understood the X's and O's compared to how much of it was psychological? How much of it was he just a master motivator? Can you, in this hindsight you have now, how would you describe, you know, to, to a layman, what made him truly one of the best? You know, again, when I say this, I've said this before, and I, I'll say it right off the bat. I'm, I don't want to offend anyone. Coach Knight, what I, and again, this is me talking. What made Coach Knight so great was not so much the X and O's in the game, was it was who he recruited. So Coach Knight had a way he wanted to play. Um. You know, if it, if it was chess, he wanted two horses, he wanted one bishop, he wanted two queens, he wanted three pawns, whatever the case may be. And he went out and found those guys. I mean, you look at at the, at the you know, Alfred and Smart and Garrett and Hillman, and, you know, you're kind of looking going, I don't know who they could beat, but they played, they played Knights style perfectly um you go back buckner benson may you know those teams like and i again i'm picking two teams that won the national championship but there's a lot of great teams he had you know i i would consider us pretty good we never won the national championship but he had a way of of recruiting kids that were going to play his way now could he tweak it because i was there five years we didn't have the same offense all five years it was where was our strength, where was our weaknesses, where was we going, you know, what was our, what was the thing we had to work on, what what was the thing we had to stay away from, what, what was the thing we had to do every game that we were really good at and try to go with it. Every year was different. And he was just really good at the type of kid he recruited to play his style. And if he could get that team meshing, he was really good. Um, you know, I always say it this way. If you take the UNLV team that Alfred Nim beat that was loaded, beyond loaded, and if you want to let Tarkane have Alfred Nim, <laughs> and you want Knight to coach the UNLV team, they would both have lost. <laughs> they, Knight couldn't have won with the UNLV team, and Tarkane couldn't have won with Alfred Nim. It's There's re- no way. It's really funny you bring that up. We, I think it was A.J. Moye who only had a couple months of practicing with Coach Knight before he was fired. But A.J. told us that when Coach recruited him, he kind of used this metaphor of that Coach Knight built a car. And every player was a different piece of the car. And not, he could not recruit five steering wheels. Somebody was a steering yep. wheel. Somebody was the spark plug. You know, somebody was the brakes. Like everybody had a role. And what you just said laid that out really perfectly. That 
there is genius in how and who you recruit. And it doesn't mean Correct. just going after the top 10 guys in the country. It means, like you said, Bingo. Pat, you got to get the people that fit your style. And clearly, Coach Knight did that for three decades at Indiana pretty successfully. He did He did that. Um, you know, everybody wants to say, well, when did – you know, when did you know coach had kind of lost things at IU? And I look back and I go, again, I never did. Right. Until you look back, like I can look back now, and in my opinion, when he stopped, it wasn't that he stopped, he still knew what he wanted. But that kid that he needed, you know, when he went in and talked to me and I said, you know, I was thinking about Kentucky, you know, within three weeks I told Kentucky, Purdue, and Louisville I was – I was going to go to Indiana. Coach Knight at one time could pick, you know, I can't say every time, but he could pick and choose who he wanted. And when that day came where recruiting started to change and he couldn't go get that kid that he really needed out of the Midwest or even the state of Indiana to some degree, that's when things started going sideways. I would also, and, I'd also throw out because Ward and I were there during this time. Oh boy! That, uh, and maybe you'll disagree with this, Pat. I'm curious your thoughts, but I would argue that Coach Knight still got those guys. He wanted Jason Collier and got him. He wanted Luke Recker and got him, and then correct. couldn't keep him. And when those and, guys left, and they were. This is not. I'm not trying to compare anybody to anybody, but Luke Recker was Pat Graham to that team. You know, Jason Collier was uh, Chris Lawson to that team. Like that, those were his guys. And when they left, it left a team that didn't have the right pieces. And to your to your point, if you don't have the pieces, what you just said, you have, you have. uh, That's very. That's very good. That's. The, the thing with – there was – I shouldn't say no way because if you think I didn't think about transferring <laughs> my first two years, you're wrong. And I'm not saying that I ever – it's like I said, I got in trouble when I was a freshman. There was an article done in the Louisville Courier Journal by a guy by the name of Stan Sutton. And Stan was a great guy. And he had kind of covered me in high school. And, and he asked me – it was kind of an off-the-cuff question. It wasn't – and I didn't answer it right. I was I was too dumb and naive and and didn't think that everything said was going to get printed. And he said, "Have you ever thought about transfer?" And I said, "Everyone does." Ooh, yeah. Well, the next day in the paper, <laughs> it was game day. It was a game day, and I got called in over that. And I walked in and Knight throws this paper down in front of me, and I'd never re- I didn't read the article, and he blows a top and. I didn't even know what to do, say, because I didn't know what was in the article. I go back and read the article, and I'm like, oh, Coach, come on, man. Like, Coach, you have to, you have to know, you have to know that, right? The problem was I said it, <laughs> and it got printed. You know what I'm saying? So I learned a valuable lesson right there. Be careful what you said. And I kind of got mad at Mr. Sutton, and I look back, and I go, that wasn't his fault. That was my fault. I should have I should have added a little bit to it and said, I think everyone thinks about transferring at every school, you know, but I, I made it, but that's the thing with, with the transfer, like everyone, 
is fighting. There's that little piece. Everyone's fighting that. And you know what we got now? Everybody transfers in high school now. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, now if you don't like the coach or the or the school colors or whatever, you just go to another team. And guess what we do in the state of Indiana, and I'm guessing most states, yep, sign off. We're good because no one wants to fight the attorneys. It's just amazing to me. But we didn't – we never had that issue. Chris Lawson transferred, and I'm not – I don't know if – I don't know if he made the right decision or the wrong decision. It was his decision and good for him. But you didn't, you didn't have to fight that back then. And I'm guessing you really didn't have to fight that back in the 70s, early 80s. Right. When um, you never fought transfers. And then gradually over time, over time, it's just now it's again, now it's down in the high schools and, you know, it'll be in, in a, I'm sure it's in elementaries for that, <laughs> for that sake. But it's the transfer thing with the wreckers and the colliers and those guys. Like Michael Lewis, he wasn't transferring. Right. Like there was a dog in him, there was a pit bull in him that, you were going to have to – you might have to break his arm or, or escort him out of the state, but he is not quitting. And I'm not saying transferring is quitting. That's not what I'm saying. I guess that's kind of a bad word. But it, there was just something about you didn't worry about those, um, not the way you do now. And, and by and, the way, sometimes transferring is quitting. I mean, like just we – don't, we don't have to like mince words. Sometimes it's transferring because it's just a bad situation and, you know, the guy isn't – it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. That's fine. But sometimes it's a Lauren, guy who doesn't like Lauren, the fact that he's not playing as much because he thought he was a star. And he doesn't like Lawrence the coach Funderburg, yelling at him. Yes, Lawrence Funderburg hadn't had his the voice raised to him up until the UTEP game. Right. And he gets thrown out of a practice, and he quit us. Now, I would say he quit us. Now, I've, I've talked to him, you know, a couple years later in Bloomington, and, I mean, it, it wasn't like I – I held a grudge against him, whatever, right. whatever. But he he quit us because, you know, the, we're 10-0, and 0, ranked third or fourth in the country and go to Ohio State first game of the Big Ten season and get absolutely beat like a dog. <laughs> and we finish 8-10 in the Big Ten. And we are 18-10. and 10, We make it barely in the NCAA tournament. But, like, it was like, damn, Lawrence, you, you know, you just up and left us. Right. And – that didn't set well with us. Uh, that that one kind of hurt us. But you know, I get I get there's issues and problems. But you know, when you make excuses on why you're transferring, what kind of guess kind of bothers me. Uh, you know, sure. If you want to transfer, transfer. Well, Wait till the end of the season and go. But you know, don't don't blame ticky tack things to you know beat the man. I guess is what I'm saying. Well, right? if you're um, if you're gonna lose some teammates, that's one thing. But at least in your sophomore year, you got to replace missing teammates with a, with a new one named Correct. Damon Bailey. Well, what what yep. was it like? You guys are obviously established now. You're you're going to be basically a top five team all year, and here comes this Damon Bailey legend strolling into the locker room. Was there a, a, any kind of a resentment or a little bit of like a hazing you had to put him through to just get him acclimated to not being uh, the, the superstar on his team? Actually, no. Um, it was, you know, of course, Damon was, we considered him as I, a Southern Indiana kid. And, 
it was funny. Uh, Damon came in, boom, hit the floor running. Um, again, you got to remember, we're all just fighting <laughs> to make it day to day. We're not really worried about the guy to our left or right. And you had, you know, I, and we probably need to talk a little bit about that, but you had a guy on the team named Eric Anderson who made everything better. It just, everything was better because he was around. Talk and us through that, Pat, have, Let, because obviously I'm sure everybody knows, but we're about seven months away now from Eric Anderson passing away long, you know, way before he should have. Uh, right. walk, walk us through what was special about Eric Anderson. Eric Anderson was a guy, again, he was, he was the, I, I guess I'd have to back up just a little bit here. He's Mr. Basketball, freshman of the year in the Big Ten, and then the, his sophomore year, because Jay goes to the NBA after his sophomore year, but uh, Eric's going to be a sophomore. And returning freshman of the year in the Big Ten, his team, he's the guy. We all know it. And you got this Calvert Cheney that walks in. And, you know, a month into practice, he, like, looks at me and goes, kind of like we did in the shower when we were all kind of in the shower going, Calvert's unbelievable. He kind of looked, he's like, he's our best player. And we're like, I mean, it was kind of like the elephant in the room and no one wanted to say it in front of Eric. Cause we were kind of like, damn, Eric's, Eric's the guy. And then when Eric looks at us and go, dude, he's, his, his game's going to make my life a lot easier. That's how he looked at things. Like wow. he had no jealousy and, that was one great thing about the teams that I played on. So then you fast forward that. Now you got this sophomore, unbelievable player, uh, Calvert Cheney, and you got this kid who, you know, by the way, a few years, he, you know, as a sixth grader, he'd have started over Alfred and all that stuff. <laughs> he, comes in as a, he comes in as a freshman, and guess who was the guy? Calvert Cheney. And Calvert Cheney's like, I don't really care what anybody, you know, it, this isn't me, my team over Damon's team. Like, I'm cool with it. And it was like, oh, my gosh, here we go again. So you got this guy who's got more fanfare than any human being ever to come out of the state of Indiana. And Calvert Cheney's the most likable, doesn't really care, no jealousy. There was, it was easy. And that was, you know, back-to-back -back years where I'm like, Eric Anderson has every reason to call it my team. He didn't do it. Calvert Cheney had every reason and right to call it his team. He didn't do it. So when Damon come in, it was just like, he's just another one of the guys. Now, you go to class, and I never forget, I had a guy, um, This is if this is a lie, lightning strike me dead. I went, I had a guy on campus one day said, have you seen Damon eat the light bulb? And I said, <laughs> what? He goes, he can eat the light bulb. I'm like, what are you talking about he can eat a light bulb? He said, you know, you've ever seen those magicians that can put a, you know, bite a light bulb and chew the glass and all that? He said he can do it. I'm like, well, good. Next party, we have a couple beers. I'll make sure to see if he'll do it for me. And I, I walked off. I'm like, are you kidding me? But, yeah, I had a guy tell me that. We would go to road trips. We I forget, Michigan, Miss, Michigan State, Minnesota. We get off the airplane. And there's probably 25 people waiting for autographs. And me me and Calvert get off and walk right by them, which they didn't – I'm not meaning I should have signed an autograph. I'm saying Calvert. And Calvert walks off in front of me. They walk 
they went right right past Calvert to Damon for his <laughs> autograph. And I'm like, you guys do know who that was that just got off in front of me, right? Wow. And it was just this whirlwind. Uh, Damon was great about it, though. Um, Damon. What, did you ever ask him to eat a Damon, light bulb? I, absolutely, I did. And what he, he just said? laughed and said, yeah. He was like, yeah, I ran 10 miles to school every morning and 10 miles back after practice every day. He goes, that never, that never happened either. But, yeah, it was. The legend grows. It was, it was this myth, and it's like, man, I the light bulb, I was going to be halfway impressed with that one. Yeah, that yeah. was a, that, the guy who told me that was definitely wrong. I'll say that. It, you know, when we talked to Calbert and asked him a similar question about Damon, Calbert did say that, there might have been like, oh, how is this superstar kid going to come in? Like some some trepidation, not from Calbert towards Damon, but just worried that how does a kid with this kind of hype come in and just fit in? And Calbert said that that fear went away immediately the first time that Damon was in like Correct. an open gym because he was just Correct. another great teammate. Yeah, that's you're exactly right. Like, did did Damon? And one thing, like, I'll say about Damon, like, every team he ever played on at IU, like, he was never the best player. When I say this, he was – there was always someone that might have been a better shooter. There might have always been somebody on the team that was a better rebounder. There might have been somebody on the team that was a better defensive player, whatever the case may be. Damon was just always one of those that's like he was the second best of this and he was the third best of this and he was the best at that. and. He, he just was one of these guys that was just really consistent at everything. But like you say, there is nobody, including Michael Jordan, that could come out and do, could match what he did in high school, like for the fanfare. Like they just, I think they thought his freshman year, he's going to average 25. We're going to, we probably will go undefeated and we'll break the 76 record and we're going to go 33 and 0, win the national championship because we got Damon Bailey. And that just couldn't – he could never no, – nor could anyone right. live up to that hype. And it was very, 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 very unfair to Damon. But he was about as good at handling it as anyone I'd ever seen. Uh, he just kind of rolled off his back and kind of smiled and laughed about it and went on. And we'd laugh about a light bulb getting made. But <laughs> that's just kind of how he did it. I mean, he just never – he just never tried to – be bigger than what you know he was and which made his teammates accept him really quickly and really easy and uh it made that made that transition very easy very smooth pat it is with great regret that i have to fight across an hour of los angeles traffic to pick up my child and i have to leave so i'm going to leave <laughs> you in in the very capable hands of eric but i do just want to say you were such a huge part of what uh, was and will always be my favorite Indiana basketball team of all time. That group of you that came in your freshman year and you got to stick around for a victory lap. You, it was such an important part of my childhood. I wouldn't be doing this podcast right now if it wasn't for that squad and you guys and all those incredible games. And I just want to thank you for not only those memories, but for taking the time to talk with us today and, and take us back through a lot of those memories. It's really special. No problem. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. 
And if Eric does anything to upset you, you just let me know, and I'll I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll make sure it's right. All right, that's all right. <laughs> Take care, buddy. Thank you. All right, Pat. So I want to talk about we get through your freshman year. Like you said, it was a bit of a struggle. The team barely gets into the NCAA tournament. Damon Bailey shows up, and now you have a really good team. And I'm always curious to ask, especially after what you just talked about on how your freshman year was about surviving and getting through, about a moment, a game, something where stuff started to click for you. We've talked a lot about this with various players, a moment where the game started to slow down and where you realized, I do belong. Now, you may have something in your head. In just looking at your box scores and your game logs, your sophomore year, pre-conference, you do play top 20 ranked Kentucky. You win, and you have 12 points in that win. It seems like a little bit of a breakout game for you. Does, do you remember that game as being a moment for you, or did it, did it happen at a different time? I, you know, I would have to say, no, I can't really remember that. Okay. I can't. When I say it this way, I can't remember a quote-unquote breakout game. Got it. Where Coach Knight was always so correct on this. He said, you know, he'd always say he makes practices or the players make practices harder than the games. And I can remember where, you know, again, the ups and downs. And statistically, I probably had a better, better freshman year than I did my sophomore year. But I will say – my sophomore year, you know, your freshman year, you're just you're just a chicken with its head cut off. It's like I said, you pick water, you should have picked Gatorade, uh, you know, salt and pepper, black, white, green, go up, down. It it was opposite. I'd have chose wrong. All of a sudden, the sophomore year, and again, I can only speak for myself, the game started slowing down a little bit, where. I knew when I was supposed to make a cut. I knew when I was supposed to make a pass. And you start getting a little relaxed or confidence where you weren't, you weren't that cat, you know, with your tail underneath a rocking chair, waiting for the mistake to happen like you did in your freshman year. Your sophomore year in practice, things started slowing down. Then when it started slowing down in practice, you knew the game would be similar or easier. And that's what I remember about the sophomore year. You were still a little nervous about the – the yelling and the not I shouldn't say nervous, but you were you were never quite uh, comfortable with yelling and screaming when that was going to happen because you never knew it was, which was always fun because that's what that's what made it tough. But then my junior year is when I was like, this is going to be great, like this is going to be a cinch. I got it. And then my I guess the first practice of the very first practice of the second you know, second practice of the season. Uh, first practice of the day, I stepped on Calvert's foot and broke my foot. Yeah. And then that's when all hell broke loose for me. So you lose basically two years. But, yeah, your sophomore year, you kind of start things slowing down. I thought my junior year, this is just – now it's going to get easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're in practice. You step on Calvert Cheney's foot. You break your foot. How psychologically does this impact you in what you really think is going to be kind of your coming out year? Uh, that was, that was pretty hard that, you know, going back on this, you, you, 
we've talked about, did you know how good you could be, blah, 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 and I say answer no. This was the first year where you kind of looked at each other and you went, we could be really good, hmm. really good. And so then this happens, and, you know, they're saying six to eight weeks, and I knew I was going to have to have the surgery, and, and they're talking to me about diabetes, and you probably won't heal as quickly as, 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 as another kid. And, you know, you're kind of sitting there going, okay, how quickly can we do? You're scared about coming back too quick, all that stuff. And I'd never really had an injury. I'd had a sprained ankle and missed two games, I think, in high school one year. And uh, so, yeah, it was pretty bad. And then, you know, I, not a lot of people understand or know this, but I think Coach Knight, when I had – it got to be like six to eight weeks, and I was moving from a walking boot to a actual red wing work boot. And – with a steel plate in, in the, as an insole. And, uh, I remember telling coach that, you know, he was talking to me and I said, I want a red shirt. And I basically got kicked off the team. And, uh, really I had, I, well, I, again, you know, when it happens, you're mad or whatever, but again, looking back on it now, cause you know, you're 48 years old and I'm a lot smarter. I just thought he was, you know, I'm thinking, why would a man get mad at me when I want to stay around here for a fifth year? Like, who does this? You know, who <laughs> wants to stay around here? But I think, number one, and I can't speak for him, but I'm thinking he probably knew how good this team could be. And whatever small part I had of it, I was a piece of it. And uh, he's, his players telling him he wants to sit out this whole season and it ended up working out good because I wasn't back ready for probably 10 to 12 weeks. It was a lot. I did take a little bit longer to heal. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, he, he kicked me. He, uh, through all my workouts, I would, you know, ball could, I could, my basketball could continue to dribble if I was shooting in my work boots uh, while practice was going on if he talked. And I remember I came back started practicing and uh he wouldn't even call me by name for about two weeks um because he i think he was still i don't know if he was mad at me but he didn't want me to redshirt and finally i think he he just come up and he i remember uh he just put his arm around me he said you know i've never had a kid that probably could equip me as easily as you and you suck it out and blah 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 and i'm thinking I wanted to stay here. I wanted to, I wanted to redshirt because I really didn't want to waste a full season on six games. Right. And I look back on it and I'm like, was he trying to motivate me to come back? <laughs> Not quicker, just come back because he thought we had a chance to win it. And, um, I don't know if it, I don't know if I could have helped or not, but I know I wasn't probably mentally and, and physically able to really help that team that year. And I still think it was the right decision, but I will tell you for after I graduated, I didn't, I did not not think about that decision for probably every day for probably five to 10 years. Wow. Did I make the right decision? Did I, did I, if, if I would have played, would it have helped us? Because again, winning that national championship was our ultimate goal. 
and uh oh it was it was on my mind for for a lot uh, a lot of years every day and uh, you know i've finally gotten over it but yeah it was a struggle and then you know the next year i come back and we're in the nit and well, yeah, hold I on. Don't, let's not go there yet. Let's not go there yet. We're going to get there in one second because I want to ask you something, uh, another thing about your junior year before you redshirt. You talked about what it was like getting Damon Bailey to come in in your sophomore year. Your junior year, another superstar joins the fray, Alan Henderson. Yeah. What, yep. what, was, what was your impression of Alan when he came into the team? I think, again... I, you know, it's it's hard for me. You know, people say, "Oh, Graham, you're making all this up," but it was it was truthful in that Alan was the same thing. He just kind of come in and fit in. Again, I will always say, uh, Knight's, in my opinion, one of Knight's greatest strengths was who he recruited. Um, the type of kid he recruited. Right. And Alan was no different. Now, Alan was a little different. We, you know, he was the Huxtables. You know, his dad was a heart surgeon and his mom was an attorney. And, but, you know, he, he just kind of come right in and um, he fit right in. And uh, we had no issues. I think Alan probably wasn't the greatest at taking heat early. And uh, he wasn't quite... He probably hadn't been yelled and screamed at, uh, like, say, again, I can only speak for myself. He had not been yelled and talked to in high school like I had. Right. So it took him a little bit of time to um, to get through that, but he did. And, again, it was a great, uh, great teammate, great piece to the puzzle, or, like Moye said, great piece to the car. Right. And... Um, he was about as good of a rebounder and that type of kid as I ever played with. So, yeah, it was something very, very good. So now you get you take you you heal up from your injury, uh, your junior year. You redshirt. You are now a redshirt junior in ninety two ninety three. And while a couple of the pieces have been moved, have have gone on and graduated, it certainly looks like this Indiana team is, again, I would think you guys looked at each other and thought, we're going to be really good again or have a chance yep. to be really good. And yep. you get thrown into the fire. I mean, these when you look back at the pre-conference schedules that your teams played, that Coach Knight played, <laughs> I mean, it is brutal. And that preseason yep. NIT in New York, you are playing top 10 team after top 10 team. And you play Florida State, and you have – a sensational game. Five of six shooting, yeah. 14 points. Calbert Cheney told us, you don't win that game without Pat Graham and what he does in that game. And walk us through what happens in that game to you. Well, we had played a couple games before we got to New York, and I would played very, very little. And I, I know Coach probably was a little hesitant how he was going to use me. And, you know, again, it's, 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 uh, you know, here's McDonald, McDonald's All-American, Mr. Basketball, and I've, I've become a role player. And that's just the way it worked. Uh, I was never mad or jealous of anyone. It was just kind of like, okay, I've got to figure out my role here. And, um, you know, I don't know if it was a 
if it was a cockiness or a, a, a confidence, but I just kind of had to be a pit bull. Um, yeah, I mean, I could shoot it. That's fine. But I had to be a little bit of a, I don't want to be a, I don't want to say a, a head hunter, but I had to do whatever I could do to help this team. And I hadn't played very much the first couple games. And I, rem I don't even know if I'd played in that Florida state game in the first half. And then the second half, thrown in and I think I got if I scored 12 or 14 I think all of them were in the second half and I just remember uh the first the first when I stepped on Calvert's foot I kept practicing actually and then come back for the second practice and it didn't feel right and I remember there was a shot I think it was Bobby Sir who I was guarding around the top of the key or whatever the shot went up I turned around to block him out and when I pushed off of my left foot you know push off to go towards the basket after blocking him out, I remember it just sounded like a pencil. You know, if you just take a pencil and, and pop, I remember in your, in your head, um, in my ears, I just remember the pop. And I remember falling down. I was somewhere underneath the basket. I remember rolling over and looking up, and I think Calvert was the first one on top of me. And I said, get someone, it's broke. And... Uh, I, I blacked out because, I mean, I, I didn't pass out, but I kind of black, blanked out because the next thing I remember, I was in the locker room and they had TVs in the gardens. So we're watching the final, I think it was like nine or 13, I think it was 13 seconds left. So we're watching the game there. We win, blah, blah, blah. And that was that was kind of a cool story because Garl and Bomba and myself and Offeld, I forget who all it was. I, I know it was me and Garl, but I got taken to the – the hospital for x-rays and we're in this room of you know 60 people and there's you know i wouldn't say gunshots but it's i'm in my candy stripes in a in a new york city hospital waiting for an x-ray and in my in my uh warm-ups and there's people around me in <laughs> in a lot worse shape than i am and uh they come back and told me and i remember they handed me a phone. I don't. I don't even know if we had cell phones. I remember having to answer the phone, and my mom was on the phone, and <clears throat> that was a pretty hard. That was a pretty hard conversation. Hmm. Uh, still hurts. <laughs> still hurts. Uh, was your mom? Because, was your mom watching the game at the time? I think my mom was there. I okay. think they were there, and uh, but she had somehow got a hold of someone, and uh, of course everybody was worried and all that good stuff. And do you remember uh, what you do you remember what you said to her on that phone call, or what she said to you? Well, kind of like I just did there. I broke. Yeah. You know, uh, that's a that's a it's always a tough thing having to explain something to your parents and. Uh, you talk again. You talk about the lonely state. Uh, that was a that was a pretty lonely area. And uh, Doctor Offeld and Tim Garl and those guys were all there and oh cried and God we were hurting. I was hurting and uh, I thought man I can't do this again. Uh, I remember we win the we win the championship. Calvert we get on the plane. He hands me the he gets the MVP which you know. Uh, I don't know if he deserved it or not, but I'm joking when I say that. But <laughs> he hands me the he hands me the MVP, uh, 
we all knew it was broke. It, you know, I got back to the hotel that night, and everybody knew it was broke. And uh, we get, we win the championship. I think we beat UConn maybe, and uh, we're flying back. And he, on the plane, he handed me the, in front of the team, he handed me the, the trophy, uh, the, his MVP trophy. And uh, I still got that. Well, still got that. So I want to I w- I want to focus on this for a second because it, it was Seton Hall that you played in that championship game. That's right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. In in the Florida State game, Calvert scored 34. In the Seton Hall game, Calvert scored 36. And clearly, yeah. <laughs> Calvert is a Player of the Year candidate. His junior yeah. year, like I mean, this is his. I'm sorry, his his senior year. He's going to become Player of the Year. He's a lottery pick. We talked to Calbert about giving you that trophy and what that moment was. And I'm just, if you could just try to focus on, bring us back to that moment when he did give it to you. What, what did that feel like for you? How, how, what did it say about the bond that you guys had and what you meant to Calbert and the team at that time? And was it bittersweet for you also? Because it's an amazing thing for a teammate to do. But I can also imagine you are still in so much pain from knowing that this is going to be potentially another lost season. I was actually in still kind of, I think, in shock. Um, you know, it's like I when I talk about explaining it to my mom, um, you know, I still get choked up. And yeah. that's, I don't know how many years ago that was. But I'm still uh, in somewhat shock. Like, you know, how can this happen again? And, um, you know, there's some guilt, you know, you let the team down and I know, you know, if you sit down and just look in the mirror and say, there is no possible way you let the team down right. with an injury, but like it's this. not, you're not in a rational place here. This isn't a rational <laughs> thing. You're just, you're an emotional you're a, human being just reacting. You're at, you're at 20, 21. I don't know what I was 19, 20, 21 years old. You're a kid playing a silly ass game. And yeah, there's that little piece of your brain that says you've let the team down. So there was a piece of that. There was a piece of, am I ever going to play again? Blah, blah, blah. And then, hands down, the best player on this plane, let alone possibly in the country, but definitely on this plane that, you know, he was ridiculously good. And for him to do that, and I'm not saying every guy on the team would have done that, but Again, we go back, we've been on here forever. But an hour ago I said, when your (laughs) best player, your best player does that without even thinking. Um, I just just don't think there's too many guys today. Uh, I don't think there's too many guys back then, but I definitely don't think there's too many guys today that would have done that. And I was just this coming back from an injury little piece of the puzzle and he did that for me and uh yeah that was that was hard and uh there was <laughs> there was a lot more tears on that plane that after that and uh I just knew what I had what was going to come because I knew now this is a second break same bone and I I wasn't looking forward to the the uh uh the rehab and all the stuff that was it was going to take and yeah uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good time in my world. Uh, I will, I will admit that, but you know, like you said, the guys like Calvert and Leary and all those guys, I mean, just, Hey, they kind of got me through it. And you know, there's, 
there was really no other option. You either quit or you you, you go to work. And so it was just kind of like, here we go again. And uh, so two, that's all you can do. Two questions. One, where does that trophy sit today? It's at my parents' house. Everything that I've ever have is in at my parents' house. That's great. I bet I bet your I, I bet your parents are proud looking at that. Oh or yeah, that I mean, that's uh, you know again it's kind of a double edged sword because they're they're proud of it, but on the flip side, you know it was one of the worst days of their lives too, or the, sure. or the worst forty eight hours of their lives because uh, uh, you know I'd I'd love to finish that game off and. But, he could have kept the damn trophy. It'd have been a lot more right. fun. But, but to me, so it was beyond. It was beyond kind and and. Uh, it, it also, Pat, to me, it's not about that game and it's not about that tournament. It's about the bond that you guys had. This special team of parts that Correct. came together, Correct. and Correct. it's just such a testament to the kind of team that Indiana fans want to cheer for you know that 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 to me is what i would see thinking about that trophy that that you guys did it the right way so i I do want to ask you before you talked about coach dockage kind of was your guy we we talked to uh coach dockage recently he came on the podcast and it was a bit of a polarizing Mm -hmm. podcast because his personality now is one that people either love him or hate him and there's nobody in the middle it seems um did Coach Dockage help you through that year? Yeah, yeah. Coach Dockage, I always, um, like I said, uh, you know, if if, if there was, t- and again, I'm not giving a number, it was probably a hell of a lot more than 10, but, you know, and, and if there were 10 times where you either needed a little boost, maybe need a little kick in the butt, maybe you need a, 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 a guy to put his arm around you, um, if there was 10 times, uh, Dockage was right on nine of them. Hmm. And, like, again, just as a player and as an assistant coach. And uh, that's what assistant coaches, somewhat his job is to do. Uh, he probably, maybe one out of 10 times, yeah, he probably should have, he probably, sh- I'd re- I, Looking back at, yeah, I wish he'd put his arm around instead of kicking me in the butt or vice versa. But, you know, nine out of ten times he, he helped me mm-hmm. uh, get through the, the you know, maybe feeling sorry for yourself or I'm getting screwed or I should be on the, you know, whatever the case may be because, again, it helped, it happens. And uh, he was just always kind of the guy. And, you know, I, I remember Coach Dockage playing. That's kind of when I was watching and, I, you know, he was somewhat similar of that type of player I probably was. And, and uh, he had to fight for everything he got. And, you know, there were weeks he was Coach Knight's favorite player, and there was weeks where he was the worst, dumbest player Coach Knight ever recruited. <laughs> and uh, that was that was some I fit in that area too, uh, very similar to what he had to probably go through is what I went through. So, yeah, he helped me tremendously. I, I know he's <laughs> – we kind of talked before we got started, and I said I don't say a lot on right on uh, on my opinions on Indiana because I said anything I say it would you know half of them would love it, and half of them would hate it or whatever. And I know Coach Dockich has a job and he makes a lot of people mad, but uh, yeah, I still have pretty fond memories of him back then. I trust me, he got me through a lot of crap. 
So you're out. Uh, that's around Thanksgiving time. You return several months later against Purdue, actually, in a yep. you know conference game. Uh, the team is playing very well, obviously, and you guys beat Purdue. You're working your way back into shape. You make the NCAA tournament, and in the second round, you play Xavier. And mm-hmm. I guess my first question before we talk about the Xavier game, are you full strength when you come back, or do you feel like I'm not what I want to be? Oh, I don't. I don't really. To be honest with you, I don't think when I come back from the last, I don't think I was ever. Hmm. Uh, I don't think I was ever a hundred percent ever coming back. Um, I both mentally and physically, uh, I never got back to the where I I thought I I was when I thought, man, this is going to be a great junior year and blah blah blah. Uh, because, you know, my junior year, I step on Calvert's foot, then we go to the Final Four, but yeah. before we go to the Final Four, it was Boise, me and Pat Knights running around the, the blue uh, football field, and I felt something kind of, so then I had another surgery because the bone had softened, and then the Florida State game happened. So there was three surgeries in mm. in whatever a month time. Uh, I never I, – I don't think I ever really got – Fully, I don't think I ever really got fully back. Did you think um, about hanging it up after that third no, surgery? No. Okay. No, I never did. I, I think, um, I just, I just was, I don't know, competitive or dumb or whatever you want to call it. I just, <laughs> there was, you know, they were going to have to carry me off the floor, and that's just the way it was going to be. And, and, uh, you know, I think growing up with diabetes a little bit had something to do with that, where you know, don't tell me I can't do something. And, uh, I'm going to, you know, I've never used anything as an excuse. And so I thought, you know, I, I didn't, I, I mean, I had a few doctors tell me, you know, you're going to heal slower. I was like, don't ever say it to me. And don't ever say that when I'm in the room, right. you, you doctors want to talk about that, please do, but do not say that in front of me. Cause I will not listen to it. Uh, I knew it. I knew it wasn't going to heal as quickly as others. And that's, but that just was kind of my, maybe my chip on my shoulder I had to wear. Um, but I, you know, my senior year, my last year, it, my foot really started giving me some problems and, and, uh, they were x-raying it and they're, you know, they're saying, Pat, there is nothing wrong. And I I said, you know, I trust you guys. I know it. there's nothing wrong, but there's something not right. Hmm. And, uh, and that's when, uh, I, again, this has been so long ago. I think that's, I set out two games. I missed, I missed two games at the end of the, my senior year. And, and, uh, the one game, by the way, one of the games you missed, and I want to go back to one thing in your junior year, but one of the games you missed your senior year is one of the worst losses in the history of Indiana university basketball, where we lost correct. by 50 at Minnesota. Right, and I say that to people today, and they're like, "Oh, it wasn't 50. And I'm like, "No, I, I, if if I wasn't exaggerated, been a hundred, but it actually was fifty. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and they're like, "There's no way." And I'm like, "No, we got to be by fifty. National national uh, television game against Minnesota at Minnesota at the barn. But I think I missed the game before that. Might have been the Illinois game, but I missed two games, and and uh, that's we get beat by fifty. Um, I went out to warm up and I knew something was not, something didn't feel right. It, it had felt really good up until this point. 
I was, of course, mentally, I just, I was a little, you know, whatever. And I just looked at the girl and go, I can't go. So I set out Henderson and Bailey, I don't know, maybe two, three minutes of the game. I think Coach Knight knew we were done. And you know what? We're resting them. And so he pulls everyone. Right. And it was a bloodbath. I think, uh, I know Lynch was on that team. Um, Sean Leonard was on that team. And, and Haskins was pressing at the end of the game. I mean, he, he, he was. He was uh, he was trying to prove a point, which whatever and yeah, there was no love so loss between I, Haskins and Knight. No, and and it was shown there, which you know, again, whatever. I uh, Haskins has every right to do what he what he did, but um, I thought it was kind of you know I don't know what you were trying to prove, but whatever. Right. And uh, the next the next day was whatever whatever Monday and. I'm in a class of probably 250 people. I think it was a psychosocial class, and I'm in the very back row. And and uh, someone come into the teacher, the professor, and I remember the professor. Of course, I'm sure the, this professor could have cared less who Pat Graham was. And I remember the professor stopping, reading a note, looking up, and saying, "Pat Graham." And of course. I was like, what the heck is this? And so I'm in the very back, raised my hand. He said, you need to go to the, uh, you need to go to coach Knight's office now. And of course you can only imagine there's yeah. 200 students in this, and we just got beat by 50. And so, uh, I just got up and left and I remember going in and coach Knight saying, it was kind of a hard discussion, but again, you know, then I was mad, but looking back, I'm like, he had every right to do that. But, you know, he said, I've talked to the doctors. We can shoot you up, blah, blah, blah. But this is a bone. It's either going to break or it's not going to break. There is no way you can re-injure this. I got to know if, if you're with us or not. And I'm sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? What I've just went through for the last two years and you're questioning me right. on my, what, loyalty or toughness or whatever? And I just looked at him. I said, what do you, you know, I, again, now you're a fifth year senior. So you wouldn't have said this when you're a freshman or sophomore, but as a fifth year senior, you get a little, you got a little bit more rope, I guess is what you're what I should say. Yeah. And I just, I, I kind of got mad and, and he said, look, I've talked to the doctors, either you're playing or you're not. I got to know going forward. I am not going to get my ass handed to me by 50, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I'm in. And so I would go talk to the trainer and they're like, well, listen, we're going to hold you out of practice, blah, blah, blah. And so I, from that point on, I don't think I probably practiced. I don't know. I'm, I might've went 10, 15 minutes of practice and I set the rest of the time and I was getting a little bit of an injection before the games to help with a little bit of the numb or, you know, give me a little numbness down there. And, and, uh, that's how I finished. And I said, when I, if I can get through this year, I'm done. I, I don't ever want to look at a basketball the rest of my life. What, you may, you knew that You knew that then in that moment. Yeah, pretty wow. much. Yeah. I knew I said, I, I can't keep doing this. And, and uh, you know, the, the, I guess it was the, the first time I got the next game we played, I, I got an injection and, you know, I was like, shoot it up more. Give me some more. You know, I was like, whatever you got to do. And I do remember 
going out to warm up and it hit and it kicked in my foot and I couldn't, I mean, I felt like a broken down horse. I'm out there trying to figure out, you know, I, you're hitting the floor and I'm not my, you know, part of my foot's basically numb. And, uh, so like if anyone ever has video of that warm up, um, after getting a little bit of a injection there, it would have it would have probably been comedy, but yeah, I have finished the season that way. And, By the way, uh, you didn't just finish the season; you finished the season in pretty great fashion. I mean, you came back against Ohio State that year after after right. missing the two games. You scored eighteen points in that game, played thirty six right. minutes. By the way, in that game, and then you go on to the NCAA tournament where you make the Sweet Sixteen again. Which I, I want to take a, a moment here because I am curious. You're a red shirt fifth year senior. All mm-hmm. the guys that you came in with are gone. Mm-hmm. Was now obviously you're friends with you have a good relationship with Damon Bailey and Alan Henderson and Brian Evans and all the guys that came in after. But was there any sadness for you when that group, that heralded group from 1989, graduated the year before? Obviously, a couple of them we talked about transferred, but now all of them are gone. Any sadness for you that you were going through this next year, your final year, without them? No, because you know, and Leary, Leary had redshirted his That's right. third or maybe his second, third year, right. whatever. So it was the seniors. It was Bailey, me, and Leary. And um, you no, know, I never really thought of it until you just brought it up. But no, I didn't have. I had no. You know, I didn't feel bad about that. Um, I, you know, I, I remember coach Knight coming to me, this is how dumb I was. Um, I'm thinking to myself, I can't play anymore. I, this is it. I mean, I, I'm done. And, uh, you know, I'm, if I'm a horse, they're taking me out to the pasture and putting a gun between my eyes. I mean, I'm done. And I remember coach Knight calling me in and saying, look, this has happened in football, but would you want or be willing to fight for a sixth year? And I mean, without hesitation, I said, absolutely, let's try it. Wow. And he petitioned and I don't know how, I don't know how it all worked out, but you know, that year, the right before the Florida state game or whatever, like they said, I played too, too many games. So if I had not, and I'm, when I say too, too many games, I probably played a total of six minutes in those two games. Oh, so six minutes kind of kept me from a six year, and uh, oh, I would have come back a six year. Hell, if I could go back today, I'd, I'd go back today. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would I would have stayed in a second. I would I, you know, half you know, fifty percent of my brain saying I'm done. I'm never playing again. I can't do it. And the other half of me is like, yeah, petition it. Let's go. Right. And uh, you know, like I said, today's world's so different. Not that I ever had a chance to play in the NBA or, or, or past that. But, you know, today's world is kids are reclassifying to get to college a year early. Right. And kids are so quick to try to get to the NBA, which, again, I'm, I don't fault any kid to do that. You know, I, I get it. And no times have changed. But, you know, my idiot self was trying to get a six-year, <laughs> and I would have I done anything uh, to try and – to, to just get one more game and you know today's world there how quickly can I get to that next level right and 
it's just the way times have changed. There's nothing. I'm not right and they're wrong or they're right and I'm wrong. It just it's just the way times have changed. So um, your senior year. I do just want to point out some highlights because obviously I think that everybody has a little bit of revisionist history where – not revisionist history. It's people like to look at things as black and white where at the end of a college basketball year, if you didn't win the national championship and you're at a school like Indiana, a lot of people think, oh, well, that it was a failure. But I, I do not subscribe to that school. And your senior year, you beat number one ranked Kentucky. You scored 12 points at the RCA Dome. You played at Kansas in Lawrence. You scored 22 points. You, that was a close game. You barely lost at Lawrence. 22 points for you in that game. You beat number 10, Michigan. You beat number 16, Minnesota. You beat number 9, Purdue, and you made it to the Sweet 16. I know it wasn't a national championship, and I know your foot wasn't 100%, but do you look back at that senior year and go, that was really one hell of a year? Oh, I, you know, <clears throat> you... When you say that, that's kind of funny because I've never thought of it that way. Um, I know that year, you know, again, it was Bailey, Leary, and I, and we were kind of the seniors. And, and you know, as I've, I think everyone understands, when you're a junior, senior, especially a fifth-year senior, you are a lot more confident in speaking for the team or back to coach or you aren't scared to give an answer or I wasn't. Right. Um, And so the, the thing about that is really the only thing you were kind of trying to do was, you you know, Jeff Oliphant was a fifth year senior and he had so many injuries, but when I come in as a freshman, he had a conversation with me one time and he just said, you know, playing time isn't the be all end all here. It's getting through, uh, and then one of the biggest things is 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 being that quote unquote leader. And you know, I just I don't know. It was I don't know if it was how I was raised or what, but I just kind of took it as okay, that was my job. And and you know, you did it, and you weren't worried about stats and who gets the points and who's Sports Illustrated, whatever. You know, it just it just wasn't a part of it uh, for the for the teams that I played on. Now, for other schools and today's game, I don't know. But I just can only speak for those years. We just didn't have a lot of – you just didn't have a lot of that tedious crap between teammates. And was every guy on the team my favorite guy? No. There was a lot – and I guarantee there's some that didn't care for me. (laughs) But there was something still when you got on the floor that it was just – it was just Indiana. This is just the way we are. We were made or we were put on. This is the reason we were put on this earth, this team thing. And it's just, I think, I think, I don't know if coach Knight made us do this. It's just the way we were. And, uh, uh, it, that's just the way things were, were done for us. I want to ask you one thing, going back to your junior year, because, the year that um, you lose in the Elite Eight to Kansas, there was another debilitating injury that affected the team in addition to the injuries you were dealing with, which is Alan Henderson's knee injury. What do you remember? Right. Do you, do you, when that happened, what was the relationship that you had with Alan? Was there anything that you could impart to him from the struggles that you had had with injuries 
Were you were you trying to keep his head up during that time? What do you remember from that time? Oh yeah, it's it's kind of the injury bug. You just the only thing you do is try to help that other guy. You know, keep his head up and whatever. And of course, I wouldn't I wasn't looking at the NBA career, and Allen was, and and not that Allen was looking forward to that, but you just the only thing you do is just kind of because Allen was a guy that could get down quick. I mean, you know, just like I was. I mean, uh, like I said, there were some lonely bad days. And so the only thing you do is kind of keep keep needling somebody up and motivating however you have to do it. And, um, oh, there was many of those days. Uh, there, you know, you kind of had to take that leadership role or, uh, you know, the old man role, which I didn't mind doing. But, hmm. yeah, that had to happen. Who do you had to happen. Who are you still friends with? Who are you closest with from your teams at Indiana? Well, down here in Evansville, a lot of those guys live up in Indy. But you know, you see, you know, you see Evans and Bailey and Leary and a lot of those guys, and you still catch up with them when you can. But you know, we all have kids, and we're all going our different directions. So there's not a lot of time for, you know, hey, I'm driving up to Indianapolis to see you guys. There's not much of that. Right. Um, I I probably stayed in touch with Leary. Leary actually, Todd Leary, uh, was down in Paducah, Kentucky, and he just moved to Evansville. And uh, so, I'm, I'm I guess I'm trying to recruit guys down here to Evansville, but <laughs> uh, he's down here now, and so get to see him quite a bit the last month or so. But um, yeah, there's you know you just you don't see those guys the way. You know, again, you don't see your high school buddies the way you once did. You don't see your college buddies the way you once did. It's right. Just, everybody's kind of fingered out and went different directions for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, like when when Eric passed, um, you know, when Big E passed away, you know, I got to talk to a few guys and kind of catch up or whatever. And, uh, you know, you don't want it to be over those circumstances, but it's just the way it worked out. Sure. Uh, there has been in the, basically in the 26 years, 25 years since you stopped playing at Indiana, it feels like there's been several lifetimes that have happened with Indiana basketball in that, in that gulf. And I'm not going to go over each one of them because I think we've all talked about a ad nauseum, but I do want to flash forward to Archie Miller and the current state of Indiana basketball. I know that when Archie got hired, I read that you reached out to him. I think you were on your way to vacation or something, and mm-hmm. you were able to spend a little time with Archie. And the comments you made at the time were you really liked him. You you thought that he had right. he had a way about him. What can you tell us? Uh, have you had any other conversations with him over the last couple of years? And what can you tell us, the the fans, about what you think Archie is? Well, I yeah, I did. I was actually yeah, I was down in I think Destin or whatever, and uh, I got a hold of. Scott Dolson and uh, I, I did that with uh, Coach Green. I just uh, I I just reached out to you know introduce myself, uh, whatever I can do to help. Uh, he's got my support. I did the same thing with Arch, and uh, I you know I it's I hate to blame everything on Coach Knight. That's not what I'm saying when I say this, but the Indiana basketball fan, you know. You, the, the typical Indiana basketball fans, the, the guy like me, that you, you get done and you look back. Well, 
Indiana basketball fans have been looking back for years. Mm-hmm. And the, the one thing they always go back to is, well, those teams, you know, the Alford teams or the, the Whitman Kitchell teams or the Scott May, Quinn Buckner team, you know, whatever. And that's a really hard thing to have to, I guess, go against in a ranking. Um, because the teams today aren't what those teams were. And maybe it's a little bit like I, I talked about, you know, the Michael Lewis's and the, the Pat Graham's and the, the Brian Evans with injury. You're just not going to quit. Uh, I think kids in today's world have changed. Um, I think, uh, I think a, a college coach's job is a hell of a lot harder today than it was back then. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, if Duke doesn't win the national championship, they're a failure. Right. Um, if Kentucky doesn't win the championship a couple of years ago when they were undefeated, they're a, they're a failure. And it, we, we're in a time when this is the case. And, but the thing with Indiana is people want to – people can always look back at those years with Knight and the successes he had, and everything's compared to that. And that's really, 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 really hard to compare to this coach or or this past season or whatever the case may be. And so I like Coach Arch. I, you know, I I think it's a tough job, but you know, you always, I've always said this. I don't care what position. I don't care if it's a a fireman, a policeman, a a high school coach, a, a, a CEO of a company. When people say, well, you got to get rid of Arch and bring somebody, okay, who do you want to go get? Right. But you better have that answer before, you know, that, that grass is not always greener on the other side. And I do think you can't just do things in one, two, maybe even three years. I think you've got to give it guys some time. As I said earlier, Knight would not have been very good with UNLV teams. Right. Or UCLA teams or that's, Michigan State teams. That's such a good point, Pat, because I think that, to your point, Archie was coaching someone else's team his first year. and, and Very much so. And even largely his second year because he only had a few recruits that came in. Um, it Correct. takes a while to get your team. So I think your point is so well taken that – you have to if it seems like Archie is a guy who recruits to a system. He has a system that he wants to put in place and he doesn't have the pieces yet to run that system. Correct. You got it. You know, uh there's very few coaches I've never been around any. Uh, I've never met them where uh I'm going to I'm going to coach the style that my players are. Uh you know, I don't care if it's an NFL football coach. I don't care if it's a college football coach, college baseball. I don't care. Coaches have a system. That's the reason they're good. That's the reason they're coaching at that level. And they have to get the the pieces to fit their style because they're they're not going to change their style. There's very few coaches I've ever been around who can change their style from one way or to another they can based tweak. on what they have. They can tweak they based can on tweak. matchups, right? Like you were talking about Coach Knight. He tweaked your offense for four years based on what your yes. strengths were, but he didn't change the fundamentals of the of the system. 
Correct. And then on the flip side, if you don't have any strengths, now you're really playing catch up. <laughs> right. So you have to have you have to have uh, you know you have to have some Jimmys and Joes here to get this done. And you just can't take um, you know just any any coach off the street that was a college basketball coach at one time. You can't just take anybody and say here's you know here's 12 players win with it. They have to get their style or their team or whatever the case may be. And um, I, I still think you have to give him his his due time. I, I, I'm not, and I'm not saying you know be all end all. I'm not saying uh, you know Archie's the next Bob Knight. I hope he is. But what I'm saying is is you got to let him have his time to succeed or fail. And I just don't think one, two, maybe even three years is enough time. So from one Mr. Basketball from Southeast Indiana to another in Romeo Langford, who only we only got to see play one year. Romeo, I'm a fan. I, I'm an unabashed fan. And I think that, that, that the critique of Romeo uh, that he got this year was unfair a lot of the time. Uh, what was your take on Romeo and his one year at Indiana? I, you know, my thing with Romeo is I don't know how, I don't know, um, speaking as a guy who had this, had a terrible, terrible injury for, you know, basically two and a half out of my five years, I don't know how bad his hand was. Um, I think, uh, I think uh, I think he did what he could. Uh, I, you know, from what I've heard, it was he had this this injury was a lot worse for the whole season. Right. And uh, you know, if that's the case, I have to tip my cap to him because it stayed pretty hush hush, and he played his he played his ass off. If that was the case, if if uh, you know, if that injury was more kind of agent talk for the NBA, I. You know, I don't have I don't have much use for it, but right. Um, you know, again, I I've never met Romeo. I've never talked to him in my life, and um, but I got to take I got to think that if if that kid played this season injured the way it was talked about, um, you know, that's about all you can do. There's not much you can do. I have to ask Pat, and I'm sure this doesn't bother you. It bothers me a little, but how is it? That a Mr. Basketball from the state of Indiana who goes to Indiana, obviously Mr. Basketball is from the state, but a Mr. Basketball from the same part of the state as another Mr. Basketball, how is it that the school, the program, someone doesn't set up a phone call for you and Romeo to talk or an invitation to say, hey, Pat, you're from the same part of the state. Why don't you come to a game? You should just have a five-minute conversation with Romeo. Am I crazy to think that that stuff is important and should happen? Am I nuts? Because I want it to happen, but maybe I'm just sentimental and it's BS and it doesn't matter. What what do you think? Well, I'll answer it this way. Uh, I'm at a gym... I don't know, three, four years ago, and I'm coaching high school basketball in Evansville, Indiana at Memorial. And a lot of times, it's like I tell players all the time, I, I, I say things that I think, I'd, you know, that's what my assistant coach in high school would say, and I'd laugh at it, and I'd kind of, Blaine and I talked about it over, over time. I'm like, 
I remember you saying stuff and I get so mad at you. And then now I catch myself saying it, but I remember it was, I don't know. It's probably three years ago. And I brought up, I made a comment about Calvert Cheney and I had, I don't know, 16 players in the, in the gym. And I had 14 guys look at me and I could have said, you know, Bill Clinton, I could have said, I could have said any name and they would have known who it was more than Calvert Cheney. Oh, that is heartbreaking. They didn't. Now you think of that, but but you also got to think we're at the time 46 years old. I mean, these, these 18 year old, 16 year old, 15, 16, 17 year old kids, they don't know who Calvert Cheney is. They sure in the hell don't know who Pat Graham is. So in all truthfulness, you know, I does Romeo know who I am? He probably does, just from where we're from or whatever. But truthful, I don't, I don't, I don't know if he'd even want to. You get what I'm saying? I guess I I'm kind of come kind of with some humility, but I no, guess... I don't, I don't. It's it's those guys. I, I I will say this. I remember being, I remember being there, and if Randy Whitman, Ted Kitchell had walked into the locker room. And that's probably kind of the same time length maybe. Okay. I could have I could have told you where they were from. I could have told you their shoe size. Right. I could have told you everything and anything about it. Um in in today's world it's different. But that, I mean, that's my that's my problem truthfully because Look, I'm not saying this stuff equates to wins and losses. I'm not. I'm not qualified to talk about that. But Indiana basketball is special. And what makes it special is the history. That's all that makes it special, is the connection of current players to former players, fans remembering different generations of players. I grew up a kid in the late 70s and 80s, and I heard stories about you know, how good that 75-76 team was. I grew up revering right. Scott May and Quinn Buckner and Bobby Wilkerson and Kent Benson, and I never saw them play live. So right. I, to me, it is what the program should be doing to connect the dots a little bit. That that right. that is what separates Indiana from, I don't know, southeastern Missouri State or, you know, Chapman University or whatever, like schools that have no basketball tradition. What makes Indiana, Indiana, it is the Pat Grahams. It is the Ted Kitchells, the John Leskowskis, the Van Arsdales. It goes back, and it just bothers me that the program doesn't kind of look at this low-hanging fruit and go, Romeo is the first Mr. Basketball from that area since when? Hmm, Pat Graham. Oh, Pat Graham was a star at Indiana University. Let's connect these two. Like, that's just, I don't know. To me as a fan... I would appreciate that. I probably would appreciate it more than you or Romeo would, but <laughs> I think that the fans revel in that kind of stuff, and I guess I just wish it would happen more. Yeah, and I, I've always – it's like I've, I've been up there and talked to Coach um, Arch, you know, I don't know, three or four times, and every time I go through there, I'm in that area, I always will stop in. And, uh, you know, I, I can remember the first time my wife and my two little ones were little, little, and – we coach crane we we went up there and went to his office and his wife and him and were there and i mean i'm walking in nervous beyond nervous 
again, you just didn't walk into Coach Knight's office. <laughs> and I still kind of had a little bit of, of hesitancy, I guess is the word. And I can remember Coach Crean just looking at me going, what, what are you? And I said, look, Coach Crean, I said, this is nothing to do with you. I said, you just didn't walk in this room unannounced or whatever. And he's like, Pat, I need you. I want you around here as much as possible. I need you seeing these players. He was wonderful about it. Arch is very similar to that. He said, you're ever here. You let me know. You come in. You come on the floor. You come to practice. But he's, 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 given, that, um, he's given that invitation, trust me. Well, that's me. good. That's every, good. Every time I've been there, that's what it's, it's left as. Um, I don't, you know, it's it's with coaching high school basketball, it's impossible for me to get up there the way I, I sure. you know, at one time did or whatever. But yeah, I I don't have a problem. Uh, you know, I really, honestly, I, if I was a little bit hesitant to do it uh, in high school because I was, I said as soon as I went to New Albany, which again is seven minutes from my house. As soon as I went over there and went to a practice just to talk to the kid, and I don't care if he went to Kansas, Missouri, UCLA, or Indiana, just to just to talk to the kid. Right. And uh, but I said as soon as I do that, you know, somebody will post it on YouTube, and I'm recruiting, and then right. Indiana's getting some people. So there's always that little yeah. bit of nervousness about it. But uh, yeah, I. I agree with you. Like I said, we had a lot of former guys come back when we were sure. there. So and it wasn't set up where Knight set it up. It was it was guys just came back and sit down and talk to you and it was the give culture. you a little grief and it was whatever. The, the yeah. culture was set where that was, was part of it. And and it and sounds like it, Archie it, wants to get there also, which I which I hope he does. Oh, I I promise you, I, I don't think there's any question, Arch and and even Coach Crane before, I, I think they they did their best, and I think Arch is doing his best to do that now. It's you know I, I know the I know the relationships with some of the former players have been kind of hurt a little bit, and it's you know it goes back to the Bob Knight Indiana University divorce. I call it a divorce, yep, and sure, you know, and and I don't know. I just have always look look. I I'm I'm a huge diehard Cleveland Browns fan, and I'm not gonna ask someone if I is it okay if I can root for the Browns I I'm going to root and do what I want to do and if if I want to go back to an IU game I, I don't really care if some former ex guy gets mad that I do <laughs> I, you know I've never looked at it that way I guess there's a lot of people in my life that probably aren't maybe good people but they've always treated me good and I'm friends with them and there's a lot of people that people think he's a great guy and I don't like him so I've never really listened to what, you know, others, if I want to go back to an IU game and I'm, I'm going to do so, I'm not really worried about what camp gets mad that I go back and support IU, but, um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, the... I root for him. I, I want to get, I want him to get back to where it was, but, you know, I can only speak for my teams and I can only guess that the, the Woodsons and the, and the, the Mays and the, and the, 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 the key smart teams and whatever those, there was something about those teams that there was a togetherness. I'm not saying they were best friends. I'm not saying they were all in each other's weddings. I'm just saying there was a togetherness about those teams. And I know there was a togetherness about the teams that I was always on um, that made it what it was. And right. I think that 
that's what made it easy for people to root for us. Um, you know, in, 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 you know, again, I'm not trying to make anyone mad right now. Like, you know, who's got that right now is Purdue. Oh, God, you know, I know, Matt Painter, I know. It makes me sick. Well, I know. And, and again, here we're doing an IU podcast, and I hate to bring that up, but I'm not saying that it can't get, Indiana can't get back to where it was. It's just Matt Painter's done a great job of doing that. But guess how many years Matt Painter's been at Purdue? Right. It took him a while. It took him a while. I'll tell you a story. Matt Painter, and I, I know we don't want to turn this into Purdue, but I saw Matt Painter's, I think it was his first game Purdue ever. He was ever the head coach, and it was at the University of Evansville. It was possibly the worst college basketball team I'd ever seen. I, it definitely, <laughs> definitely Purdue team. And, again, he didn't do that overnight. Right. Um, and I just think sometimes you put on Arch this unimaginable setting. You know, if, if you can win at Dayton, don't tell me you can't win at Indiana. I agree. I, you know what I do think, though? And, look, this is just me spitballing from the cheap seats. I do think I think Coach Crean fell into this a little bit. I think Coach Archie did, and I think Coach Archie has reversed, t- tweaked his course a little bit quicker than Coach Crean did. But Indiana is still considered by many to be a blue blood program, even though we haven't had the success really since your teams. We had some success with Correct. Cody and Jordy, but not sustained levels of success. Correct. But when Coach Crean got there when Coach uh, Archie got there, there is this sense that, okay, well, now I'm in the big seat. That means I get five stars. That means we go after these big five-star recruits. And right. guess what? If you aren't Kentucky and Duke and maybe Arizona and Kansas and North Carolina, that's not a sustainable model. And it wasn't a sustainable model for Coach Crean. And Archie he, he had to recruit Romeo. He got Romeo. But he's missed on some of these other five-star players. But that's not what – I don't think that – it's not what he built at Dayton, obviously, because he couldn't. He needs to build his system, and that doesn't mean you go by the rankings. And it also Correct. means it's going to take longer. It's going to take longer. Correct. But if you build it right, it'll last longer. Correct. So, I agree – I agree 100%. I've, again, I've got a lot of wonderful – some of my dearest friends are diehard Kentucky fans. And I remember when Coach Cal was was named as the Kentucky mm-hmm. coach. And you got to remember that first year he took a kid from – I think that was Wall left Memphis to go with him to Kentucky and whatever he got. So he brought in and then he went with that one-and-done thing yep. very quickly. And if it, you know, again, I can't speak for the every fan in the state of Indiana or, or Hoosier Nation across the country, but like I don't personally, I don't want to be one and done university. I, I couldn't I, agree more. I like, I'm, I'm not saying that an Oladipo doesn't need to go. Uh, I'm not saying a Zeller doesn't need. Look, it's you got to go. I mean, right, uh, Calvert. Calvert Cheney probably should have went after his junior year. But, you know, I don't want that to happen. Uh, but there's some people that say if that if that gets us winning, who cares? No, now, yeah, I don't, I, I'm with you. I get I it. Mm-hmm. But like you said, if you're going to not choose that way, you have got to give it time. And you can't build the, the Todd Learys and the Pat Grahams and the Matt Novers and the Alan Henderson. You can't build those teams with 
Because, by the way, none of those guys were one and done. Right. I didn't play with any one and done. I never played with the one and done. And it's also, Pat, why um, the fans love your team so much. We got to know you for four and five years. We, correct. You, yeah. and I, you and I had never talked on the phone before this interview. I felt like I, you were part of my life because I watched you for a half a decade in Indiana. Your injuries, right. I felt the pain of those. I went through right. it with you. I saw you battle back from them. You don't get that with one and done university. And let's also be honest. Even if Archie decided tomorrow we're going to be one and done university, he couldn't do it at Indiana. He doesn't have Calipari's an interesting guy. Coach K is interesting. Roy Williams. These are larger than life, charismatic guys. You can't just flip the switch and become that. It's a very rare thing. And Indiana, Indiana isn't set up to be that kind of school. That's not who we're going to be. The 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 no, trustees I, wouldn't allow I, it. The supporters of the program wouldn't allow what you have to do to get that kind of program going. That's not who we are. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. You know, it's I've heard Coach Dockage. It's funny down here in Evansville. I'll you know I'll be going in a doctor's office and somebody will say, "Did you hear what Dockage said yesterday?" And I'm like, "Oh no, what was this?" <laughs> and it's funny sometimes when I hear something, and of course it's it's it's. Portrayed, it's portrayed as a negative about IU, and actually, when I hear what he said, I'm like, he's right. Now, yeah. the fan hates him for saying it because he's cutting on it. You know, they think he's cutting on IU, but actually, what he said was correct. And that's the thing about, you know, and I've always said it this way: if if you're going to be a one and done, if you're going to go after a one and done, you have to get two to three of them. Right. Exactly. You can't just get one. Now I'm not, and I'm not talking about Romeo. I'm not cutting on him. in when I say this, but when you have one one and done, they own you. When you have two or three one and dones, they can kind of hold each other accountable. Hmm. Okay. The way and Kentucky that's the way and Duke have done. Bingo. Uh, because if Zion doesn't play up to par or play hard or whatever. He's got a couple other one and done there that are saying, look, Jack leg, you're making me look bad. <laughs> right. So they, it's almost kind of, they hold each other accountable just as we, the teams that I played on held each other accountable. And when you have a Romeo come in like last year, I'm not saying I'm sure Romeo was, I'm not saying he's a good or bad teammate, but there's something about a one and done when you know he's one and done. Yep. When there's only one of them, it's almost like he holds control, not the team. Although, and I, I'm not just talking about IU. I'm talking about any school in the country. I've always had that kind of that opinion. I would, but you have to take a Romeo. Yes. You have to recruit that have kid. Have to. And I would also say this, Pat. I agree with you with one caveat. You can take one one and done if you are an established winning Bingo. You're program. 100% correct. Like, yes. you know, if Romeo would have – if you – it was somewhat bad luck for Archie. Flash forward three years, four years, when Archie has, you know, seven Bingo. juniors and seniors on the team, fine, bring yes. in one, one, and done. That's not where we were. But he right. had to recruit him. He, what's he going to do, not yeah. recruit the kid from New Albany? He has to recruit Right. So right. I – all right, so I'm going to ask you one more question, and then I'm going to let you go because you've given us way too much time, and, and I really appreciate it. But you are in the Evansville area. You're down in Evansville. Have you seen Christian Lander play? Yes. How good is he? We play the same conference. He's really good. Yeah. He's a really good player. And what really do you good. know of him 
is he a good kid? Like, what can you tell us about him that maybe we don't know when all we see is star rankings and YouTube highlight videos? Right, right. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to speak about him because, again, I don't want to get in any trouble um, as far as the NCAA because I never know any rules. But uh, I'll make sure that it's not a violation because if it is, we won't answer. Right. (laughs) A couple. A couple things I'll say about that kid, because we got to play Evansville Memorial. We played him twice last year, and uh, uh, we played him, obviously, the last two years. He is he is a really, really good player. His freshman year, when, when these rankings, again, these rankings I laugh at, but when these rankings come out, I'm like, give me a break. Come on. There's no way. And – that was kind of after his freshman year, before his sophomore year, and this was in the summertime stuff. And I was like, look, he was really good as a freshman playing varsity. He was really good. And then I saw him as a sophomore, and I was like, wow, he is, he is that good. Hmm. Um, that, number one, he's that good of a basketball player. That's not made up or, you know, the quote-unquote experts. I would legitimately say he's, he's as good as he's, he's placed in the country or whatever the second thing is when you ask okay what kind of kid is he because i know there's good kids bad kids whatever from everything i've been told and from and i know coach adams over at Rice, class act kid he is a very very good student he is a class act kid uh from coaching against him preparing for him Watching him on the floor interact with other players, other his teammates, referees, whatever, I I never saw anything that I'm not impressed with. Wow! So he is he is for all intents and purposes he is what he is. You know the things you read and rankings and all that stuff. He is legit. He is a legit basketball player. He's a legit kid. So I really I, hope know, we get him. I really hope we get him. Well, yeah, I I would say Indiana would get a good one if they can get him. That would be something. Uh, Pat, uh, listen, I, I just want to tell you, Ward said it before he left. You are part of the reason why Ward and I are Indiana University basketball fans. You, The way you played the game, the obstacles that you overcame, the way that you never gave up, you battled your ass off and you fought through it and had an unbelievable career as an Indiana University basketball player. But more than what you did, it was how you did it. And how you played the game is how I wanted to play the game when I was playing high school basketball. It's how I wanted to teach my son to play the game. It's how I hope Indiana players in the future play the game. And being able to talk to you and hear you talk about your journey has just been an honor and a privilege. And I cannot thank you enough for giving us this much time to walk us through everything that you know about basketball in Indiana and your journey. I, uh, I just can't thank you enough for, for taking the time with us, Pat. Well, I appreciate it. Like I said, I knew you'd talk to Coach Dockich, and I hadn't got through it all. I'd, I'd listened to probably somewhere in half of it, and I thought that's why I'd I don't know if it was you or the, or your partner that I texted and said, "How long does this normally yeah, take?" That was me. I'm thinking, that was me. I well, I'm, I said I'm a little bit like my mother. I can talk to a parked car if it's something and entertaining. And 
And no, we didn't even get to talk about the Bulldogs, but I know, you know I, <laughs> that's, that, that, that can be another one, but yeah, yeah, I, 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 like I said, I know, uh, you know, here I'm sitting in my car getting ready to watch a baseball practice over here at East Baseball <laughs> Field, and, you know, guys are pulling up, and I'm kind of one second, but I, I, I didn't know how long we were going to be. Secondly, I know we jumped all over, and, you know, I, I, I'm probably partly to blame about that, but I hope it come off well. I hope it, it gives people a little bit of understanding what we went through, and not only what we went through, it's not like it was military where it was, this is life or death or war, but it was tough, but man, I would give. Well, I tried to get my sixth year. I'd, I'd crawl back yeah. on glass and do it again. No, I found and, it. Uh, I found it kind of life affirming. You talking about the togetherness that you had and how there was no ego, and you may not all be best friends, but you had a common goal, and so you just were a team. You were a true definition of a team. I, I, I found it inspirational, truthfully, Pat. I love it. Well, and I and I will still always say this. I, I've, I've always said this about Coach Knight. Coach Knight, the five years that I was there, Coach Knight recruited players that, one, were – I didn't play with very many bad kids. I'm talking he had good – he recruited good kids. He recruited good families. Um, were, were all of us smart and good-looking and rich? No. <laughs> not, <laughs> not everybody was perfect. But we were all pretty good kids. We all come from pretty good families. Um we 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 had pretty good upbringings all all the ones that I was a part of and I'm not saying that means we were all middle class what I'm saying is is we had some stability at the home yeah and some coach support Knight structure yes and coach Knight recruited a type of kid he always told my dad I recruit parents as, as much as I could recruit kids and so when you get those type of kids up there it was very I think it was uh, he probably wouldn't admit this but I think it was easy to coach right um that type of kid and uh you know hopefully that's what we get back to that's the type of kid we want or i want to to watch and root for on the team that i i root for and um agreed um knights knights teams were maybe not the most highly recruited or spy star or whatever but he had pretty good players pretty good pretty good kids upstanding kids knew how to play team first all that stuff and uh, just hopefully one of these days we can get back to that. And I think Arch has a chance to do it. I just, I just think you got to give him a little time. I agree. Real quick, what are your Bulldogs' names? Odie and Daisy. Daisy's the female. She's four, and Odie's three, and uh, he's the he's the male of the house. So I had a funny story. I had a when my wife and I were at IU. We we are my sophomore year. We lived at Jackson Knight's apartments. There was a wrestler from Cleveland, Ohio. That had two bulldogs, wow. Riggs and Sadie, and I'll never forget this. It was like it was almost this bucket list started there. I was like, you know, before because I grew up with hunting dogs on a farm. Yeah, you know, beagles, bassets, uh, setters, and uh, labs, and and so my wife grew up with dachshunds. So it was like this bucket list. Before I'm dead, whenever we get settled and whatever, we're gonna. I, I want to own a bulldog, and that's that's how it all come about. It was kind of a joke when it first started, but yeah. It, uh, I have a uh, my story is 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 a different but still kind of a bucket list thing. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and I was a big wrestling fan to to tie it into wrestling again. And there was yes. a wrestler wrestling tag team known as the British Bulldogs. Yes, 
Yes. And they yep. came to the ring with a bulldog named Matilda. Yep. And I loved exactly. that dog and said to myself, when yes. I am an adult and can get my own dog, I'm getting a bulldog. I've had two, Luca and Gordy. They're the best dogs in the world. I will say this, and I'm oh, curious. You, but go ahead. You've had so you have you've had two. Yes, two. I rescued both uh, of them. Rescued both of them. But uh, yeah, Go- Luca was our first, and then Gordy. Gordy, we got when he was about three years old. He lived to about thirteen and a half, which, as you know, is a good age old, for a bulldog. Way old. Way yeah, old. I, I have people. I, I have people all the time, and, you know, when I go back home or wherever I am, and they'll come up to me and say, you know, it's kind of the running joke, like, don't you ever say anything about IU basketball or something? I'm like, <laughs> I i don't use social media. I don't have Facebook. I'm not one that gets on and brags about my kid or my team or whatever the case is, but I said I'll brag on these two <laughs> these two damn dogs I got. But, yeah, I, I have more fun, but people all the time come up and say, my gosh, you're, you're – uh, you know, your tweets about your bulldogs are always funny, and I'm laughing. I was like, I, I'm known for my two dogs more than anything else, which is fine with me in today's world. Bulldog owners will understand and appreciate this. How bad is the gas <laughs> in your house? You know, I've, I've got two dry mouths. Uh, they don't slobber. Uh, they're they're pretty good on the gas thing, too. Okay. They, they, they're just babies. They just need their they're, – like I said, i got two lap dogs, and the female ones <laughs> – is uh is a is a is a mama's girl and the, the the male is more of a daddy's boy so yeah we got they get the run of the house they hit the lottery i know that well i had two wet mouth walking wobbling whoopee cushions that's what my dogs oh, were no. <laughs> but i wouldn't have traded them for anything they were the best there you go there uh, you go pat thanks again man i really appreciate it you are you are just a, a testament to what Indiana Hoosier basketball is supposed to be about and was a fan of yours my whole life watching you play basketball and since then and remembered you fondly. And after spending the last few hours with you, I'm even a bigger fan. Thanks so much, Pat. Thank you very much. Anytime. I don't mind doing this stuff. Anytime you you want to do it again, I can do it again. I enjoyed it. Hopefully. Awesome. Hopefully I didn't offend anybody or make anybody no, mad. Not at all. Not <laughs> at all. And if you made somebody mad, it means you did something right. Well, yeah, I know how that works, too. So. <laughs> all hey, right, Thank Pat. you very much. You're good. Take care. Appreciate it. Who's your hysterics? Well, that was uh, an epic conversation with uh, uh, an epically cool guy. Uh, it's very weird for me to do this wrap-up without Ward here. Ward uh, is had to pick his kid up, as he said, and I just wish he was here so we could talk about how cool it is that we now have talked to Calbert Chaney and Pat Graham from some of the best Indiana teams of the last 30 years. Uh, what a joy to talk to him. Please follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics, no vowels and hysterics. Email us at HoosierHysterics at gmail.com. Uh, hope you enjoyed this. We'll have an announcement very soon on a November or December event in Bloomington. And, man, I just hope we get some more Pat Grahams on this team. Take care, everybody. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. 
Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.